here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Many, 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 are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> Give me a name. Like Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Just stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I'm Rich Craig, alongside, as always, the king of banter and a very good family man, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? I guess I uh, need new plans for Sunday, huh? I guess, yes. Yeah. So you, uh, I know you had, uh, you've got a hotel room, you got a flight for some ex- inexplicable reason. I don't know why you wouldn't drive, but you were going to go down to Russell Circus this uh, this Sunday, get back on the wagon of Russell Circus, but uh, apparently that's not going to happen on Sunday anymore. And uh, man, I, I for one, am shocked that Russell Circus, which has garnered a reputation as being one of the most reliable and and you know trustworthy indie promotions in America is now once again fucking people over. I'm just I'm shocked, Joe. I I'm just still trying to kind of process it all. You know, I have flown to Austin. It's a it's a 90 minute drive, but I have taken flights. Oh How long is that flight though? It's like 28 minutes. minutes right? Like that's even yeah, like, that's just a waste of fuel, doesn't it? Like that that's really silly. It's like 28 minutes or something like that. <laughs> so it's all takeoff and all landing, basically. I do that once. I had to. Uh, I I, I, fl- I was going to San Antonio and I flew into Houston and then took a, a plane from Houston to San Antonio. I think that maybe 35 minutes or so. I want to say that one was, and it was just like the dumbest flight I've ever been on. Like the light goes off, I get up to go to the bathroom, the lights back on. I'm like, all right, whatever. Then I guess we're back down. And like you can already feel like we were at peak like altitude for maybe four minutes and then already starting to land. It was just like, what are we doing? It's so stupid. Yeah, but I mean. A lot of the times, the problem is if you fly out of College Station, you, you have to take one of those short flights to either Austin or Houston to then get on the real flight right. to go so where you're pick going. up real people and, and, and have a real flight with real. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, all right. So college because the International Airport, it's uh, old College Station, not uh... not an international airport. That's the problem. <laughs> Basically, are you getting in like for, a biplane? Are you getting in like a, a Learjet? Well, you you fly Lears, of course. But I, I what, a normal, what do what do plebeians fly to get out of College Station? Yeah, I of course take a private jet out of the uh, Easterwood Airport in, in College Station. But yeah, it's they're they're those little mini biplanes. You're not you're not kidding. Like that's it, there's no like full there's no seven forty sevens. You know what that I mean? Horrifying. Are, are are you like weirded out by planes or anything? Because that that to me, getting in a biplane sounds like. I used to be – they're the kind of planes where, okay, sometimes there's like 10 people on the flight, 
And I've had instances where they're like, okay, could you guys move over? We need to balance the weight. Right. When they say that, what I do is then I get off. <laughs> I drive to Austin, Texas. I'm yeah. not balancing weight. If, if, that, if my weight, if, if my 210 pounds are making or breaking how this plane is going to fly, I'm out. I'm done. Here, here's the thing, though. Okay, it's kind of like you got to figure out. Sometimes it's way cheaper because you can park at the at the little mini airport for like five dollars a day and use no gas to get there because it's ten minutes from the house, or you could use half a tank of gas to drive to Houston or Austin, pay twenty five dollars a day to park. You see what I mean? So I get sometimes, it. I get it. yeah. Or you know, sometimes it's easier to just call a fucking Uber and pay $7 to have them drop you off and then $7 to bring you home. But you just have the inconvenience of taking that, you know, fucking La Bamba flight from college station to fucking, you know, a real airport. So it's kind of like I do both. Sometimes I don't mind making the drive to a real airport, but sometimes I just want to roll out of bed 40 minutes before the flight, hop in an Uber and get right on the plane. You know what I mean? too. Yeah. Like, cause I, I never had that opportunity. I have to get to the airport like three hours early just, <laughs> just to like make this uh, things work. But what, uh, the, the, the overarching conversation here is about Russell circus. And now it's been quite a few, how to say maybe a year or so since the last time we talked about Russell circus. Now Russell circus is an independent, well, was an independent, I suppose we should say, uh, as we have some details here in a bit, uh, was an independent wrestling company uh, based in Austin, Texas that we had talked about a few years ago for people that maybe are new or haven't listened in a while. Joe, do you want to catch us up to speed uh, as quickly as possible to what the hell Russell circus is and maybe what are the, some of their past issues uh, have been? Well, I mean, they were, you know, the hot new super indie that hit the scene a couple years ago in Austin. And they were bringing in, you know, name, value, internationally known independent talent to work their shows. And they were often great lineups. I mean, you look at these Wrestle Circus lineups and it was, is you know, it's like going to a PWG show a lot of the time. They were just bringing in everybody and anybody, but they gained a reputation quickly within the industry for just severely overpaying talent severely overpaying on accommodations for talent with first-class flights and five-star hotels, which is great for the talent. So you would have talent lined up around the block to try to get booked by Wrestle Circus because you're going to get paid an exorbitant amount of money. They're going to take care of you. And they flat out have said publicly that their goal wasn't to make money, which is bizarre. I mean, you know, they, their goal was to break even. achieve that <laughs> every yeah. month. Yeah. Well, their goal was to break even. That was their stated goal. Well, I, don't I don't know if they did that. <laughs> they never did because they shut down at least once or twice before because right. they were losing their ass. And But, I mean, I'd go to these Wrestle Circus shows, and because of how well they would take care of talent, all kinds of unbooked talent. Now, that's not unusual at an indie show. You'll, you can find unbooked talent you know, hanging around indie shows a lot. Sometimes they just show up. They have the gear in the car because you never know. Sometimes they show up because they just want to be seen. Sometimes they show up because they want to, quote, hang out with their friends or talk to their friends, but really they want to be seen by the promoter. You, you've seen that, Rich. Oh, of course, but, yeah. They, they, they're hoping that the guy says, hey, you, you got your gear, right? Yeah, all right, get in there. Like That's the goal is, is show there, get booked, maybe sell some 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 merch if, if, if someone recognizes you. They're, I always got a bag with them. They're always prepared with a backpack of some sort with some sort of T-shirts or trinkets that they're more than willing to sell you. Uh, if need be, and then also their gear so they could get booked for sure, or or just to network to get booked next time, right? Right, you know, right. It's, it's ring, awesome. help out, yeah. Try, try to, you know, maybe hey, next time I come, I'll come again and then get booked, yeah. It's all, it's all, yeah. it's all game. set up, break down, chat with the promoter, whatever. 
Wrestle Circus shows, Rich, there, I've been to Wrestle Circus shows, and you know me. I'm standing in the back by the wall, okay? And there would be 20, 30 wrestlers that weren't booked. <laughs> just hanging around, you know, bullshitting. Local wrestlers, uh, well-known wrestlers in some cases. I'm not going to blow up their spots. You know what I mean? Because everybody wanted to work Wrestle Circus. So anyway, that was not a sustainable business model, even though you know they were drawing packed houses every time. I don't think Wrestle Circus ever didn't draw a sellout, no matter what building they ran. Real quick, I just tra- I just clicked on a random show because I didn't want to pick like their opening show or their first. I just picked on a random right. show. So I got the greatest show on earth, which was uh, December 17, 2016. Opening match is Lance Archer versus Hangman Page. Okay, that's the opener. <laughs> that's yeah, 2016, a little bit of a different Adam Page, but still an Adam Page. Lance Archer still an active yeah. New Japan wrestler at that time. Uh, Houston Carson versus Jack Stane in the second match. That's fine. Those are two local guys. That makes sense. That's fine. Uh, former, Rick- hey, former NWA world champion, yeah, Jack Stane. Yeah, you, know, you, you, you put respect on that name. Okay. <laughs> uh, Rachel Ellering versus Christy Janes. Again, like not anything totally unrealistic. That, that's fine. That's whatever. Uh, Sammy Guevara, Colt Cabana. Sammy local, but Colt obviously drove, made the drive down or the fly in. Uh, Jade versus Joey Ryan. I don't know who Jade is, unfortunately. Um, it's an intergender match. Oh, oh, Mia Yim. Mia Yim's Jade, of course. Yeah. They went by the, Okay, I guess there was maybe some reason why they... It's they 2016, go. my friend. Oh, Impact. Right, Impact Wrestling star Jade. <laughs> yeah. uh, then you had Laredo Kid, Scorpio Sky, uh, Aaron Solo, Ricky Starks. I'm just going to list names now, just kind of get an idea of everything that's going on here. Dick Justice, Jervis Cottonbelly, Gregory James, Cody Lane, Keith Lee, Shane Taylor, The Boys, uh, the ROH Boys, Ace... ACH versus Chris Hero. <laughs> That's your fifth yeah. match for the top is ACH versus Chris Hero, by the way. Yeah. Uh, War Machine versus the Best Friends. I mean, War Machine was a huge deal at this time, and obviously the Best Friends are what they are. That's the fourth one at the top. Uh, Donovan Dijak versus Tessa Blanchard. Michael Elgin versus Jeff Cobb. And then Ethan Carter the third versus Pentagon Jr. in your main events. That is a low- <laughs> fifth from the top is ACH versus Chris Hero. And forget just the bevy of names that three years later are now signed to national promotions and whatever the case. And those were all big names that you just rattled off. Look at how many people they booked. There's 14 matches on this show. There's 14 matches. There's like, there's like 60 people. They had like eight hours, right? These shows. Wasn't there one that was six and a half hours. And it was just like, all right, guys, come on. Rich. They were so long. Like you'd pay for three hour parking. And you'd hit intermission at like the two hour mark and everyone would run <laughs> to repay for three more hours of parking. Like the building would empty at intermission because the shows were interminably long. Cause they booked a million people and a million matches and you got star power. Okay. And this is why they filled the building every time because listen to that card. That's a great fucking card, but it's like, you can't make money on that, especially when you're blowing up the pay scale on top of that. You know, you're paying people more than, than what they're getting anywhere else. It was just, you know, um, <laughs> it wasn't sustainable. They shut down a couple of different times with a couple of different excuses. And uh, they had a show scheduled for this Sunday. Austin is a Sunday town, always has been. You don't run Saturday in Austin because Austin is, you know, the quote-unquote live music capital of the world. And everybody goes to see music on Saturday. So any wrestling promotion that's ever run Austin – it's a Sunday town. So they had a show this Sunday and um, they canceled it today as we record this on Thursday via email. And uh, Rich, we have acquired a copy of this. You got the email. Yeah. Are you going to read it? I'm sure it's making the rounds by the time people hear this, but um, yeah, let, let's read it just in case it hasn't gotten out there. But uh, I will read the email <clears throat> quote. 
With deepest apologies to every single one of you, I regrettably have to inform you that our upcoming show on July 28th is canceled and that I will be closing the doors on Wrestle Circus for good. Please don't blame either Kevin or Jordan for this. Uh, that's most definitely Kevin Condren. I, I don't know who Jordan is. Uh, as they both attempted to keep things running in my absence, however, my own personal issues and things I have going on right now in my private life became the center of what has once again caused Wrestle Circus to close. Once again to close, Rich. Uh, I continue. It is clear that I am not fit to run a wrestling company, I'll say. And so rather... <laughs> At least you admit it. I mean, that's, 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 that's more than most wrestling promoters have ever said, so... And so rather than postponing or trying to come back from this setback again in the future, I will be announcing that Wrestle Circus is officially permanently closed. I have enjoyed working with each of you, and please know that it tears me up to do this to all of you. Uh, there are violins playing this portion of the uh, email, Rich. I should have listened to both Jordan, Kevin, and Lexi. Uh, Lexi is uh, Al's wife. When they told me that the timing to bring Wrestle Circus back was not good and that I should have left it closed in the first place. Yes, I do agree that he should have listened to them. Unfortunately, my own ego got in the way of listening to their better judgment. I am, I truly am sorry to be doing this. If that puts you in a situation where you need help with travel arrangements to get home, because remember, Rich, it's only three days out. Please reply to this email letting me know what needs to be done to get you home, and I will do everything I can to make sure that you aren't stranded or paying out of pocket to get home. I will be informing and refunding all ticket holders today as well. It was a good ride while it lasted, and I'm sorry it had to end this way. Thanks, Al Leinhardt. Um, end email. Now, this was sent to the talent on Thursday. So, uh, now, they hadn't – people hadn't heard a peep out of Wrestle Circus for right. like – It went, they went dark for a week. Yeah, their Twitter went dark for a week, and anybody that was asking, hey, uh, what about this or what about that hadn't heard a thing uh, yet. So, everybody kind of got, unfortunately, this this weird suspicion. And, and, and by the way, for the history of it, to kind of – give you an idea uh 2017 october 2017 they had their first quote-unquote kind of shut down then they were gone until february 2018 ran two uh two shows in 2018 but by march 2018 were closed down again and then brought back up in may of 2019 ran two shows now and then of course this the third and and, and final <laughs> hopefully revival of a wrestle circus so well this is it because it's like even if they attempt to come back no one's going to take a book. <laughs> like, I'm amazed people took bookings this time, to be well, honest. I, they well, ran the shows. I get it. I get it. I can tell you that some people wouldn't. I know that. So they had already run off some talent. But with the money they pay, <laughs> the accommodations they make, yeah. and if you don't have nothing on that day, you see, you know what I mean? It's like... And most guys don't. I mean, Sundays are usually 100% open for most indie guys because they're working Fridays, Saturdays. Most, most right. Sundays are, that's the other thing, too. Sundays are trickier days. So oh, if you're like, going to fly me down and put me in a nice hotel and pay me a shit ton to go to Austin, Texas on a Sunday, sure, I'll see you there. Right. So, uh, I, I, you know, so if they attempt to come back now after the third time, I think just from a sh- the perspective of they're just going to have a hard, hard time booking people, you know, because it's, it's a third time now. So... I can't see it. Um, I can tell you that when I was in Dallas for the G1, I had a couple different conversations with people that were like, you hear about this Wrestle Circus thing? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, it's not good. that show's not going to happen. And I was like, well, I don't know. I don't know anybody involved. Um, they were annoyed at us years ago. I mean, you remember that. So of it's course, not- yeah, an, all-time, an all-time flagship segment was uh, Jervis Cottonbelly sliding into the old DMs. <laughs> in character. <laughs> Most indubitably, I must tell you that I have uh, fortunately heard some negative remarks about 
It's just like, okay, yeah, come on, dude. We're all adults here. What are you doing? Do you wish to speak to me about this transgression at your early convenience? And it's like, he's, he's, he's like, arguing with us in character and i'm like character about why like people were getting paid or why shows had to get canceled no i didn't know what it was it was about what was he upset about i don't even remember now i remember vividly it was when they claimed they ran an eye pay-per-view and they claimed that they claimed that like three hundred thousand people stole the stream Now, I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was in the same- a little bit less than 300,000, I think. Is the- no, no, no. The number they were claiming was oh, definitely yeah, yeah. was definitely in, into the six figures. I just don't remember what the number was. It may not have been 300,000, might have been 100,000, but it was an absurd number. So we rightfully got on the air and just fucking buried that shit beneath the earth. And then I caught wind of it, and I've got. Jervis Cottonbelly in gimmick in the DMs, like trying to argue with me, telling me that 300,000 people stole their stream. I'm like, dude, if you had that many people interested in Wrestle Circus eye pay per views, you'd all be millionaires. Right. I, mean, I would welcome 300,000 people stealing it because it means that 300,000 people are, are, are interested in my company. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> it means there's 2 million people that paid for it. There's no way that many people stole your dopey eye pay per view stream. I don't care who you have on the card. So we, we, we got into it with him, and if you remember, finally I was like, listen, I'm not going back and forth. <laughs> listen, Mr. Cottonbelly. <laughs> listen, Mr. Cottonbelly, yes. If you can provide proof, because he's saying, oh, the, the iPay-Per-View provider gave us these numbers. I'm like, listen, I'm no. If you can prove that 300,000 people stole your stream, okay, I will walk to Austin, Texas for your next show, get in the middle of the ring, Shake your hand, take my L, pay both of your main eventers out of my pocket, and then match that money for any charity you pick, and we'll make something. If you can prove to me that 300,000 people stole that stream. I believe that was the last message we received from Mr. Cottonbelly. Is that correct? I don't think we ever heard from them again. I don't think we did either. There was no shot. Like, I was never more confident about something in my life. And, you know, they put up these YouTube videos with supposedly their evidence, and then eventually... I forget how it all ended, but it's like they misread an email or something. It was something ridiculous, and they ended up taking a, a very obvious L on that one. But listen, Wrestle Circus was always good for some uh, for this kind of fun entertainment. And I'll be honest, their shows, despite the fact that they were four and a half hours long, they were really good shows because look who they fucking booked. I mean, you could accidentally have great shows when you book that kind of talent, but um, – you know, they, 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 they ran great shows and, and fans had gr- a great time. It just was a terrible, unsustainable business model. And, you know, the, the, the money people behind it were just in over their heads and uh, well-intended. I'm told that they were well-intended people. I, I've been told that forever. But maybe after the third time of screwing people over, maybe that reputation has changed too. I, I don't know. But, sure. Um, yeah, and the, and the timing was always weird. The timing of all these shutdowns and 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 the when they would just kind of disappear was always a little weird. And and this time in particular, uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, thank thankfully, guys heard at least an email. Like I I hate to say that that was like 
good that they at least got that. But uh, it was looking pretty dark there for a while where it was just like, all right, what, it, like nobody hearing anything and just every because that happens a lot of times with promotions where like they just will go dark and then everybody just kind of assumes or kind of tells each other, hey, yeah, don't don't get on that plan or hey, don't, you know, drive over here because I don't think anything's going to happen or I don't think you're going to get what, what you think you're going to get out of this. At least they sent an email. But still, at this point, it's just like, all right, dude, you gave us like four days notice to do some stuff and and, and find new bookings and whatnot. And, and it sucks for a lot of people. It's, it's tough for people that wanted to go to the shows too. We heard from a few people on our mentions that said, hey, you know, we got a hotel where we we're going to drive down and all that sort of stuff. Luckily, uh, a few other companies are stepping up and doing stuff. Anarchy Championship Wrestling. I believe they said if you have a boarding pass, if you were traveling to Austin from somewhere else, uh, they'll let you in for free. But they're also running a show that night uh, or that day, too. So uh, a good opportunity there. But, yeah, it, it's uh, it's just unfortunate. But hopefully uh, hopefully they're gone forever. And, and hopefully there are less and less of these. But it doesn't seem like this aspect of American indie wrestling is ever going away. The, uh, the shoddy, not necessarily shady promoter, but the shoddy promoter in terms of a guy that just gets way over in his head and, and, and can't handle. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't think the Linehearts are shady. No, they, I don't think they're intentionally shady whatsoever. And and everything that I've heard, like you said, I've heard the same thing from people that I've asked too. They're like, "Hey, look, look, I, I they're, they're nice people, <laughs> but they're in over their head. They have they have no idea what they're doing. They're getting taken advantage of by people. Like their 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 kind heartedness is is gonna be their detriment. And and that seems to have been the, the case here. And and in this case, you know, I can't really like you said. I after the third shutdown, the third time you're fucking people over, I can't be like super like, oh hey, they meant well, and it's all all well, you know what. But I've heard that they're good people. But yeah, I'm not the one that's not getting a check because of their you know flimsy operation. So I guess I I can just kind of laugh at it and be like ah whatever. But you know I'm not getting in the car and driving down to Austin and and hoping I get a payday and then not having that payday come. And I mean wrestlers knew that they were um, easy to take advantage of. That's how they were shaking them out for these great payoffs and everything. So there was that aspect to it too. They were just people that got taken advantage of in, in, in many different ways, and you know they just couldn't. They just were wrestling fans that wanted to run some fun wrestling shows and didn't realize that it's a, a, a right. very hard business. To- AKA the reason why we, uh, you and you and I have always said this that, and we've had people be like, "Hey, you guys should do it." Right? Like, I'll, I'll help, and I'm like, I am never, never in a million fucking years putting one fucking penny into a pro wrestling company <laughs> never in a million i will go to shows i will go on this podcast and talk about shows i will play wrestling video games i will do everything involved in wrestling but if you you are not getting a penny out of me to run a pro wrestling show i am never in a million years putting up a, 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 even a dollar to help fund a pro wrestling show it, it never it sounds like the worst life ever and it's just yeah I, I i am definitely not fit for it either so and i told you if i ever did it would be extremely tiny local shows that nobody listening would want to go to. I would use local talent and I would try to run shows that could make money by drawing, you know, two or 300 fans and maybe book one semi name talent on top and try to get the local guys over. I mean, that would be my model because my model rich would be to try to make money. Absolutely. You know, it wouldn't be to, you know, I, if I were, and I would never do it. Believe me, there's a 99.9% certainty that I would never even get involved at that level. But um, yeah, you mentioned ACW, they're running, they were running head to head in the same town. Uh, ACW, Anarchy Championship Wrestling, they've been running Austin for, I don't know, 12, 13 years now. And, uh, you know, they, they were running across town. And like you said, if, if, you're fly, if you were flying in for this show and you show them a boarding pass, they'll let you into their show for free so that at least you're not getting totally beat on flying into town for Wrestle Circus. Uh, they run the Mohawk, which is a bar. It's not even that far from where. Wrestle Circus was running. So if you're coming to Austin anyway and you, you, it's too late to, to cancel your flight, 
you can at least see some wrestling. I mean, it's not going to be the Wrestle Circus show. Although I suspect that the ACW show might pick up some of the talent. Yeah, I, I don't know because, like, reading over the talent of this Wrestle Circus, there's no point in kind of breaking down the show or talking about the yeah, actual yeah. matches on the show. I'll just imagine some of the talent that was going to go there. I'd assume that a lot of these guys are just now not going to get on planes, but those that maybe are local might get picked up. But you had SCU and the Rascals run the show. I don't think any of those guys are probably uh, making the trip there. Maybe the Rascals. Uh, Tessa Blanchard and Jessica Havoc. Uh, Sammy Callahan and Daga, uh, gentleman Jervis. I guess he'll, he'll be available. If you oh, need yeah, him. well, you know, he, uh, might be, he might be in our DMs again. I, it's possible. JT Dunn and Brian Pillman, uh, private party, extra talented, Jake Atlas, uh, also Darby Allen, Priscilla Kelly, uh, Andrew Rabbit, Rosemary, a few of the big names that people might know. So, um, there's a couple, I mean, there's a few Texas names in there, um, that I, I mean, I have no idea, but if ACW is so inclined. Uh, they can pick up, and some of these people who may have been, based on that email, some people have been flown in already. You know, right, so it's like, right, right, right. So and, and some and some of those people, Rich, might be working other shows Friday and Saturday around the area. So if they're around Sunday anyway, I mean, if I'm, you know, if I'm Darren Childs, if I'm ACW, I, I get on the phone and see if I can get some of these people to work my show, since obviously they're free now. But I have no idea that, whether that's going to be the case. All I know is if you flew into Austin, they'll let you into that show for free. And uh, we should also mention Beyond says if you can prove that you bought a ticket, they will give you a free code to watch American Rana this weekend on independent wrestling TV. Yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. So you might not, you know, if you had a ticket to Wrestle Circus, you might not get the live experience you were waiting for, and hopefully you get your money back. If there's anyone listening who bought a ticket, I'm interested if they've sent you your money back. I want you guys to hit us up and let us know because I'm very curious about that. Um, I was being facetious before. I wasn't going to this show either way. But, um, yeah, but you can watch American Rana for free. That's a hell of a uh, show, too, by the way. That's uh, For people that don't know, that's, uh, that's going on uh, this weekend. Joey Janela, David Starr, 60-minute Ironman match uh, is your main event. Chris Dickinson versus Daisuke Sakamoto, for God's sakes. Yeah. Uh, Orange Cassidy versus R.D. Evans. Uh, Rock and Roll Express versus The Butcher and the Blade, my favorite team in the world. Uh, Brian Alvarez and Filthy Tom Lawler against uh, Nick Cage and Thomas Atelli. Yeah. Uh, a lot of good stuff on there. Chris Statlander and uh, Kimberly. Uh, also, a few other good wrestlers on there, too. LAX is on that show, too, against Bear Country. Uh, Bear County or Country. Bear Country. Bear right? Country. Yeah, yeah, that's that. Bear Country is one of those new acts, along with Santelli, who have really gotten over on uncharted territory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so we had some connections issues there. But, um, yeah, Bear. I was saying, I was just talking about Bear Country and uh, Santelli is the two acts that Beyond have gotten over on the uncharted territory show. Um but uh, I, I wanted to ask you, Rich, before we move on to, to the next topic. Um, Santelli, you know who that is, correct? Uh, I don't know if off the top of my head I do. Yeah, that is the former Antonio Thomas of the Heartthrobs. Under oh, his... okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. He, he does that uh, I lost my wallet gimmick. On, yeah, yeah. Uh, on figure four. Yes. And he's now doing like, I don't know how much Uncharted Territory you've been watching, but he does like this 50s gimmick with like the varsity letter sweater and the glasses and so he's got an entirely new gimmick and uh that's been one of the new acts that they've gotten over and beyond so um and and yeah obviously feuding with brian but if you listen to wrestling observer live brian alvarez cuts like you know kayfabe (laughs) promos on the guy uh in you mid, know, in mid, four times yeah. Right now. Getting them, get, yeah, I love when he he'll, he'll cover like normal wrestling events and then be like, "Nick Gage, I'm gonna kick your ass this Sunday." Or, like it's it's pretty fun. So, while he very confused, Mike Sempervivi just uh, you know listens along. But uh, but yeah, so yeah, the Beyond Show 
it looks good. And obviously the culmination of the very, very long Joey Janela, David Starr feud, because I don't think Janela is going to, you know, he's going to be restricted by the AEW contract very shortly. Sure. So, and they're doing a 60 minute match here. So they're going to blow that off. But uh, yeah, that is a loaded show that unfortunately, um, I my schedule on my side changed, and I haven't been able to watch Uncharted. I was watching Uncharted territory every week, but um, Wednesday nights became tricky for me. But um, but I've been keeping one eye on it and catching up when I can. And that yeah, that's going to be a, uh, a a a a very good show. And I think this this weekend, correct? It's Saturday. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, this Saturday. So all right. So anyway, that's uh, probably the last time we'll ever talk about Wrestle Circus. <laughs> yeah. Uh... We hardly knew ye, uh, but thank you for, for the laughs. But <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you, Russell Circus. But anyway, we got plenty to get to this week. We have a loaded show. We're going to talk about Ring of Honor, new uh, NWA, uh, and their parting of ways. Uh, Impact's new deal with Twitch and the uh, the updates on the Impact w- uh, with access thing that we had alluded to a few weeks ago and that you would kind of uh, report on, on on Patreon, patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. Also, All, All Japan Pro Wrestling has an Osaka double shot that we're going to talk about this weekend. Uh, WBQ2, G1 Climax, AEW is official on wednesdays but joe we are starting the show officially people have always said oh no you're gonna move it off or oh no it's gonna get to the overrun no 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 not this week dragon gate kobe world joe we are leading off this show with it we both watched the show kobe world 2019 we briefly 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 touched on it before last week um what were your overall thoughts on the show before we kind of go match by match and talk about some of the other production aspects of it but uh i fucking love the show what would you think if this wasn't best show that I've seen this year it's very close this was an incredible show I think that the Dragon Gate crew and the wrestlers and everybody involved knew this was a big one they were doing the whole 20th anniversary gimmick tracing it back to you know the original Toriyaman days Ultimo Dragon on the show all those sorts of things and the working shoes were on in every single match and it felt to me like everybody on this show from the first guy out in the opener until Ben K defeating Pac in the main event and taking his place at the top of the company were out there to have the best performance possible. This was as much of a home run show as you can possibly have in professional wrestling. I, I it was just tremendous. Yeah, as far as for a show that I mean, what was it, five and a half hours total if you watch the pre match stuff and all that, it, it to me flew by. I mean, I was able to watch it in like one or two different sittings and, and it was a show that I, I only stopped watching because I had to, because stuff came up or whatever. But I wanted to just sit down and kind of watch it all and enjoy it all and in, in, in you know one sitting. Couldn't do that, but this flew by. I mean, for a five and a half hour show and and what I love about Dragon Gate too in, in, in big show environments like they do for Kobe World, all the sort of the pop and circumstance stuff they do, it all sort of feels important you know the national anthems before uh the main event we'll talk about that in a little bit because that's always a fun little gimmick especially with Pac. the you know the the, the photo shoots they do where everybody all the champions and all the contenders get in the ring and and they take a uh, you know a, a photo together the the pre-match promos they do that i think dragon Gate does an incredible job with like all of it normally if i was watching a show that was five and a half hours i'd be like all right come on let's go let's get to the match let's get to the matches but all of it just feels perfect in dragon Gate. they just do such a great job of making it all matter and post-match promos too like again it's a five and a half hour show and then we got you know people in the ring holding mics and talking back and forth in a language that i don't understand but it's all important like the stuff with ultimate dragon which went on for you know 20 minutes after their match i was fine with it because it felt important it felt meaningful and um we should mention too before we start kind of getting match by match here uh, i watched the the english language uh feed on, on dragon Gate network which you know i subscribe to and i know that you i believe watched the english language one as well correct 
I watched up to the intermission in English, and then I got a good enough feel for it to where I had my opinions. So I watched the back end of the show in Japanese because I wanted the Japanese feel for the main event. But, yeah, and, yeah, and that's, that's a good idea. That's a good plan to go with. But uh, overall, yeah, let's talk about that because I think uh, uh, Larry Dallas and Rich Bokini, who were the two commentators, uh, I think did a tremendous job. You know, give it, I, I think that what, the one thing that they did, I think, was a good idea right off the bat is say, like, hey, look, you know, we're not, you know, especially Rich Bokini basically was just like, hey, look, I don't know all the moves. I don't know all the stuff in Dragon Gate, but I'm going to try my best. I'm going to give you my best effort. And I think that's good to be out there and open and don't sort of say that, hey, I'm an expert. And I know everything like say that, hey, look, you know, I'm kind of learning along with some of you guys at home, too. But let's just have fun. Let's have a fun on this ride. Uh, and Larry Dallas, who, you know, we have we've had conversations with many times over the years you know, on the show and, and, and potentially on the show and then not on the show because uh, things don't happen. But um, I think Larry Dallas did a tremendous job as well. He was sort of the the expert, quote unquote, at the booth where Rich Bokini was just kind of like, hey, I'm going to do the play by play. I'm going to get excited about stuff. And Larry Dallas had to sort of fill in the gaps there. Perfect play by play color between those two. And I think they did a tremendous job. And I think that I couldn't really tell what I mean, I'm sure there's real hardcore Dragon Gate fans. I'm sure the Iron Mike Spears and the Case Lows of the world and people like that that are listening in. There's probably things that they had wrong. There's probably move names that they maybe had wrong or some parts of the story that they might have had a little bit wrong. But as far as like a viewer just watching it, I, and I'm more than like casual. I'm, I'm you know obviously a pretty big Dragon Gate fan. I didn't really notice anything that was like glaring, like oh my god, you guys are way off, or oh my god, you guys have nothing correct at all. So I thought they did a tremendous job, and I thought what, what really came through more than anything, and, and then I'll give your thoughts on it is Bokini's passion and Larry Dallas's passion really came through on that broadcast. And that's all you really ask for out of commentators is, is, is don't scream like needlessly, like a lot of American Indian announcers do, but let the big moments feel big, you know, get excited about the big moments, get excited about the big moves. And you could kind of tell that Rich Bokini, when he started off, he was trying to lay low, trying to be kind of calm or whatever. And then shit would happen that would make him like get really excited, like really legitimately excited. And he would start kind of getting excited about it. And then Larry Dallas also is a guy who, who we know loves Dragon Gate. So he, I think, was excited the entire show. But you felt passion from them the entire time. You felt that they enjoyed this job, that they liked doing this job. They took on this challenge head on and, and did all they could with it. So I really enjoyed it. And I had a hell of a time watching the entire English broadcast. But, but what do you think overall? Yeah, so because they let the cat out of the bag – Bocini with a with a tweet and Dallas on the air. Um, we did help them out. Um, you know, they they Dallas obviously has been part of Dragon Gate, but you know, he needed to be caught up. It's not like he was watching on a show in, show out basis. And Bokini, I believe, was coming in completely blind. So uh, you know, Dallas asked for some help and and you know, all credit to Mike Spears and Case Lowe. Um, they put together a tremendous, you know, spotter sheet of notes and whatnot to help those guys out. Uh, for them to study on the flight on the way there and, and and to catch them up on some of the stories, match recommendations, everything. I mean, Case and Mike, who cover Dragon Gate for us, I mean, you really don't want – and I, I don't say this – I mean every word of this. You don't want anyone else on planet Earth helping you with Dragon Gate other than Mike Spears and Case Lowe. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. There's no one else on this planet I would have went to for help other than those two guys. So that's immediately who I recommended to, to Dallas – and, um, you know, we mediated that and got that done and, you know, we're happy to help. But the thing is, Rich, you can have all the notes in the world. You can prepare people. And that's why I kind of said last week, I said, look, if nothing else, Larry Dallas is going to ha- is going to be prepared. Um, but then you, he's the one that has to execute, you know, uh, voice of wrestling, uh, case low, Mike Spears. We can't take credit for a good performance and we can't take the blame for a bad one. We can give you notes, but then you got to go out there and do it. And 
I, I thought they were great. I mean, I, they were, I, I, I said last week I thought they'd be fine because Rich Bokini is a professional, you know, WWE, SmackDown, MLW. He's a professional broadcaster. So I thought he'd be fine. Um, you know, I, I thought he at minimum the floor was going to be a solid professional performance, even if he couldn't keep up with the speed of the action or whatever. And I was – once I heard Larry Dallas on Observer Radio with Dave – I was way more confident in Dallas and, and he was tremendous um, for a first time effort for comparison. I thought they blew away Jim Ross and Matt Stryker from wrestle kingdom nine. What do you think of that? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Not even close. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, I thought they, they, they crushed um, Jim Ross and Matt Stryker from wrestle kingdom nine. Maybe that means that Mike Spears and case low write better notes than I do. No. <laughs> Very maybe, maybe we should be patting them on the back. I don't know if it's the writer or the reader, but uh, yeah, who knows? Uh, but uh, yeah, so I thought they blew away New Japan's first time effort. And, you know, early in the show, it was obvious that Bokini was having trouble keeping up because those first two matches were just typical balls to the wall, dragon gate, throw a bunch of people in the match and just let them go. But I think Bokini figured out the best course of action is not to attempt to call every move because you can't keep up. At some point, you just got to step out of the way, let the action speak for itself, and then fill in the holes. And that's what they did. And beyond that, they did a tremendous job. And like you said, did they call every move by the name that every wrestler uses? Probably not. But did they have a solid grasp of the stories? And more importantly, for a first-time effort, I thought Dallas did a tremendous job filling in the history and some of the bigger-picture stuff. Uh, if you were new to Dragon Gate, without holding the hand of everybody else and holding – like people like you and me who already know all this stuff, I didn't feel like I was being talked down to. But that's a tricky balance to introduce new viewers to something without talking down to the old viewers. And I think they nailed that aspect of it too. Um, I've seen nothing but rave reviews, which tells you they did well because believe me, people are very eager to bash Larry Dallas. Uh, and and you haven't seen much of it, which means that he must have did pretty well. Uh, one thing I will say, one little criticism, and I think it, it might have been an issue with maybe the way that the production was handled or whatnot, is they were doing a lot of talking over like video feed. Like they would run like a promo video or whatever, and it'd have voiceover, and they would try to talk, and there was like a many voices playing out at the same time. And and sometimes they're trying to translate, sometimes they're trying to give people an idea. Hey, that's uh, you know, that's Yoshino that they're showing right there. Okay, that's Ultimate Dragon. That's like and that stuff. I get why they wanted to do it, but it was just a little weird. And and you know, I'm sure the feed, like the feed that they were talking over, was just like the main feed without you know the the, the Japanese commentary on there. So, like, the video was really loud, and they were really loud. It was just, like, a lot of people talking all at once. But once the match got going, everything was fine. But that's my lone criticism. That's it. That's the only thing I can really bring up is that, you know, that was a little kind of worrisome or a little annoying. But other than that, I mean, that that's – I'll chalk that up to a, a great job out of them. If that's my only gripe is that they talked over videos where I'm sure they didn't even know if they were supposed to or whatever. I'm sure the production wasn't really, you know, all, all sort of – you know, tightened up beforehand and whatnot. We've heard even from guys that do New Japan that that sometimes you go there and it's just like, all right, I don't know. We just sit at this desk and talk, and we'll figure out what to do later. But um, the New Japan guys have gotten used to kind of just getting out of the way when like the Japanese promo video stuff 
And right, stuff. right, which which wasn't always the case. Like Kevin Kelly used to like talk and be like, "Oh, I guess no, get, or get cut off." <laughs> right, he's like, "All right, well, I guess I'm not talking." Or, or they would like mute his mic, or a bunch of stuff would happen. Like it was all it was a little awkward at first, but now he's kind of gotten that flow, and that'll come with time. If they do these again, that will come with time. And 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 I hope that they do. I hope it was a nice success. I hope a lot of people went and watched it. If not, I know the review, the the uh, the replay, I should say, is up there. Uh, Drag Eight Network. I was pretty impressed by Dragon Eight Network too. I was able to get on, sign on. Buy the show pretty quickly, so I, I'll, I'll give them another thumbs up for that. I know the service has gotten a little maligned here and there for the archives, which aren't very good. And there's some other issues here and there. Maybe you don't get the amount of content that you should. But for big shows like this, it was perfect. It was very easy to tell what was the you know the Japanese feed, what was the English feed, and then what I love too that New Japan World I cannot believe still doesn't have. I have to use that that Google Chrome extension, the resume feature and you yeah. like why does it not have that i love it. and and drag it you know it it does it's in japanese so you kind of have to guess which of the two buttons to hit but after not guessing right the one time i guess right every other time after that and i was able to kind of pick it up uh later when i said but yeah two thumbs up for for the production and 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 uh yeah it, it was i think it was a huge success all japan has a resume too and you don't even have to hit a button you just come back and, it just it, and I love it. Yeah, I always forget. Like I, I go into all Japan. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. What time was it? And by the time I think about that, it's like boom. And they're like, oh, thank you, thank God, guys. Like, yeah, you so, just God, you just hit play it. and it, it brings you right back where it left off. But there will be more English commentary for Dragon Gate. There will be. Okay, we, we don't know the shows yet, but it, 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 there's definitely more. I, I don't know anything else. No details. Don't ask me. But I know that there there is going to be more English commentary in some form uh, moving forward. But um. But yeah, as far as the show itself, uh, how do you want to tackle this one? Do you want to start uh, with the business end of the show, or do yeah, you want let's, to go, let's go through? business end because I think I have a lot of thoughts about those uh, matches yeah. and less so about some of the undercard stuff. But there wasn't a whole lot of filler on the show. I mean, it pretty much got going right off the bat. Rich, uh, this show, this this was a killer show from start to finish, and they knew it too. And we talked about if you if you listened and 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 watched the or the preview that we had uh, up on at voicewrestling.com. Uh, those guys talked about it too. That like putting something like a KZ and Shun Skywalker, you know, third from the bottom or whatever in terms of the main show was nothing like that. That was a, that was a big deal. There was a reason why they did. It. I mean, that's that's a match that they may have held out for another show or might have just said, ah, you know, we don't need it. But they brought everything, like you said, from from the wrestlers, the promotion, the production. Everybody knew that this was a huge show. This is the 20th anniversary. It's the you know sort of the first. I feel success, not successful, so that's not the right word, but like it felt like a, a big coming out party for this new sort of ownership because they had a lot of issues over the last year. But it feels like stability is kind of coming back to Dragon Gate. It feels like things are kind of going together. They were obviously going to crown a new champion here, and they felt like, hey, let, let's just make this thing fucking matter. Let's make this a big deal. So something like KZ Shun Skywalker just being, you know, in the undercard and it being an awesome match. We're going to talk about it here in a sec. Like that really, I think, spoke volume to the, the idea that they wanted this to be a big show. They thought this was a very special show and a very different show from the run of the mill sort of big show there. And that's why there was no filler. Like everything that was on the show was either a title match, a good match, or or, or filled its role perfectly. Yeah, and the show drew almost 6,000 fans. So, I mean, Dragon Gate's back. They had a rough, rough year last year. And this show... Um, didn't draw any fans, and the crowd they announced was a bullshit number, and they had the paper, the people that were – I mean, it was a disaster. We all know the troubles they went through last year. And uh, this show drew almost 6,000 fans, and they got a great show. So – and, you know, you had Akira Tozawa and Shingo dropping in and uh, shooting little pre-taped videos at the intermission. Did you see those? I did, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was good to see those guys jump in. But, uh, but no there Shima, was, unfortunately, we, yeah. We didn't, see, we didn't see Shima, though. I guess Shima's video got lost in the mail. <laughs> it, didn't, uh, it corrupted on the, uh, when they tried to download it, and they uh, didn't get time. So. Yeah, so not only did, you know, just, you know, they go out of their way to get Shingo and Tozawa on there, which was a nice touch. 
and you know Tazawa there in his WWE polo, and Shingo with his you know Lij introduction, you know <laughs> not, and then uh, no Shima, and they also scrubbed Shima from all of the historical videos they played throughout the show. Oh, I didn't notice that. Okay, so did someone actually do like a little bit of digging and find out that nothing? So not a single. Like yeah. he wasn't even in the background. He wasn't even doing a move. There was nothing. No, they, he was completely wow. scrubbed. They, he was completely scrubbed from the show. Jesus. Even even in instances where okay, there were a couple instances that were described to me where they were showing guys coming down to the ring for a match for like a six man or whatever, and they would cut it off before he came out. Oh my god! Because that's what I was saying. Like, how do you avoid that? Like all the way. Like, there's got to be a situation where he's just in the background, but they apparently avoided it completely. So to show you the level of heat. That still exists between Shima and Dragon Gate. I mean, he was completely scrubbed from a show where they went out of their way to put Shingo and Tozawa on the show, and where Ultimo Dragon was booked. Ultimo freaking Dragon was there, and and Shuji Kondo was booked. Okay, now that kind of that icy situation. He's worked with Dragon Gate guys over the last couple of years here or there, but you know, so you could kind of that one's not as drastic. But for them to book Ultimo Dragon. And they, all the history there, and then to put those two guys on, and then to completely scrub Shima from the show, um, yeah, that that spoke volumes. So don't expect Stronghearts to invade Dragon Gate. Anytime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't. <laughs> I like how at the time too, didn't they say it's like, oh, we're 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 the same company. We're just going in like slightly different directions. <laughs> yeah, we knew that was bullshit. Yeah, and, you could read through that. And the other thing is, Stronghearts are running out of places to invade. Okay, because now they're doing the big Japan thing, and it's like you know. Um, eventually I do think that they will all come back together because I think that's big business and that's money. And I think the longer they stay away, the more money there is in it. And as you saw with Ultimo Dragon, these things usually eventually will get ironed out. I mean, we've seen Vince McMahon over the years do business with people you never think he'd do business for. I mean, Jeff Jarrett is on his writing team. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do think eventually, but I don't think it's gonna be anytime soon. It is very, very chilly still between those two sides. But anyway, uh, Ben K defeats Pac, as a lot of us suspected would occur. Rich, what did you think of Ben K's coronation on top of Dragon Gate? So I, I think a lot of the things that I liked about this match weren't necessarily the nuts and bolts of the match itself. I think the match itself was fine. Like, I enjoyed it, but I'm probably about a four-star flat with it, and, and there's going to be a few matches I'm going to talk about before. Oh, it must have been terrible. Four stars flat. It must have been awful. <laughs> I can't believe you had to say – I like how you say that with sadness in your voice. And well, I don't... no, because people are going to be – I know. I know people are going to be like, oh, yeah. Like, that's what we've – we've created this weird – culture now where and 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 maybe it's dave's fault for going five and eight quarters or whatever all the bullshit with all his ratings or whatnot like where four is like ah oh, mm. <laughs> like four i love like that four is really good <laughs> rich i saw a great tweet i don't remember who it was so i apologize if they're listening but the tweet was i can't believe i had to suffer through that piece of shit match how dare they waste my time three and a half <laughs> right. and it's like You've lost the scale, people. I, I don't know what's happened here, but yeah, I mean, you know, so it's like you have you sound apologetic, and you shouldn't. I mean, you obviously thought it was a great match. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the things that I loved about this match, and this is what's so interesting about Pac, and I'm sure you're going to kind of echo these thoughts too. Is Pac is so this run that he's on right now, this incredible run, and this run that that really I wish more wrestlers would do. We've talked about this before, and I guess now that it's over, we can talk about it a little bit more. This is a guy who comes to, back to Dragon Gate gets their title, and then 
protects the living fuck out of this title, this company, and himself. And I know that some people got mad that he's not dropping, you know, matches at some fucking barn house show in, in you know, in, in England, and he's he's doing this indie and that indie, and he's not losing, and he won't lose, and all this sort of stuff. No, he shouldn't lose. He's the fucking open the Dream Gate champion. He's Dragon Gate's top champion. He respects that title. He respects that company, and he respects himself more than just be taking bookings all over the place and losing. I wish more guys would say, no, I'm the fucking champion, or no, I'm the big deal. I'm not going to lose this like i don't want the entire wrestling industry to become you know nobody wanting to lose and nobody wanting to take jobs or whatever but your champions should probably just say hey no i'm not going to lose you're bringing me in it's not beneficial to anybody for me to come in here and lose like it's like what are you doing this is how wrestling well, should be. it should be noted and i don't mean to cut you off but it should be noted he's a world champion and you know when you book him that he's not going to lose i think that's the difference okay he's not showing up to buildings and then telling the promoter and holding them up and saying, oh, well, by the way, I, I know I agreed to do this show and lose to your guy, but change of plans. Right. No. He's not doing the honky talk man thing where he's like, yeah, I'll lose, I'll lose, I'll lose. And then five minutes before the curtain, you know, ah, no, I'm not going to lose. Yes. Is it low key grumbling about a finish or honky tonk man, you know, uh, surprising people with it or any of the other stories, millions of you know, other stories you've heard? Really? He's a world champion who you are knowingly booking, knowing that you can't beat him. So. If a promoter wants to book this guy knowing that you can't beat him and you got to put him in a three-way or you got to do a DQ, I mean, why? Don't blame him. Blame the promoter if, if you're unhappy with the you know the main event that you just saw. So I think that's an important distinction to make. This isn't a guy coming into your building and then change and then changing the rules on you. You know what you're getting into when you book a world champion. So that's the argument we're making. Not that guys should go around and throw their weight around and just stop doing jobs. But if you're a world champion and someone wants to book you, your attitude absolutely should be, okay, if you meet my price, I'll do your show. But I'm a world champion. I'm not losing the match. Yeah, right. And I think another thing that he's done, too, that's been awesome is, is, is coming out to all these indies with that title. Like, he has he has taken that title and made that a bigger deal. Like, this Dreamgate, I was so anticipating this match, and Pac is so over in my mind because, because of what he's done. Because he's always showing that title. Because he's always winning. Because he goes out there and says, I'm the Open the Dreamgate champion. And, and like, that's it, it, it all works. Like, really appreciating it. It's so simple, too. Like, everything that he did isn't some wild, insane story he did. He just was the champion, carried the title around, and won a bunch of times. Like, you know what I mean? It's not... It's not insane to think about, but it's like so simple in wrestling, but people lose sight of it. Like, you know, they can't see the force in the trees, that sort of thing where it's like, no, like it's so it's so easy. Just be the champion, carry the title around and don't lose. Like it's it's not hard. Yeah. But uh, no, I loved I mean, his his pre-match stuff was great. The idea they've been able to work the national anthem into like this this sort of and we've talked about it before. He's attacked guys during the you know you know the the, the God Save the Queen or whatnot. In this case, Ben K smartly and and that's what I think really caught my even more anticipated for this match is that Ben K the second God Save the Queen started playing, he turns and looks at Pac and it's like no 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 I've been here I've seen what you're gonna do you're not gonna try to attack me and the referee kind of gets in the way and, and Pac is you know sort of motioning like he's gonna walk over and he's he's thinking about it and he's thinking about it, he's thinking about it and like that another massive thing by by Dragon Gate by Pac whoever was kind of the, the, the behind that is that you've made that such a huge heat segment is that when that song plays everyone's kind of like oh here we go <laughs> like something's gonna happen and like it, it adds to the aura of Pac that like you don't know what he's gonna do and it adds to the aura of Pac being an absolute bastard because it's like just sit, just sit fucking still for 35 seconds and listen, listen to your national anthem and, and then wrestle your match but he can't do it he's pacing around the ring he's snarling he's looking like he's gonna attack people he has attacked people like the idea they've made something so simple 
so effective where where it's 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 a good segment because you don't know if he's going to attack him and it's a good segment too because it's like it's he's like disrespecting his own country and then you have this idea that like well if he's going to disrespect his own country this guy's just an absolute fucking bastard like he just he he can't even he he, the only thing that he 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 just can't even respect that even he can't even just call down for 35 seconds and and just respect the flag and respect the tradition that we do and and just go through it and take it as a as sort of uh, you know, something that he should be proud of. He's not even proud of it. He's like, ah, fuck it. Who cares? I don't give a shit. Like, like you know, don't even play it. Don't even play it. I don't even care. And and I just love that aspect of him. But yeah, the match itself maybe didn't get to the level that that a lot of people wanted. But I still really enjoyed. it. I thought Ben K took a lot of the beating from Pac, uh, which was I think a good way to go about it. But I think I wanted a little bit more out of Ben K. Like I, he, I know we did the spears. The finishing sequence was great, but I wanted maybe just a little bit more in terms of the comeback of Ben K than I got. But ultimately, though, I can't be too disappointed because I think both guys did pretty well. And and, and Ben K got the spear over. Like, the spear was the biggest move in the, in, in the entire uh, building that night. So we got that over. But I just would have liked to seen a little bit more out of him. But it still felt like a very fitting coronation and a very fitting end to Pac's title reign. I thought the story they told in the match was the perfect story. Because if you watch the pre-match video, if you listen to Pac's promos leading into the match... The story here was he had no respect for Ben K because he did not think Ben K was on his level. And that's kind of been his deal all through his title run. It was a similar story versus KZ. It was a similar story uh, versus Dragon Kid. And it, that was the story here. He's basically, he literally said, Ben K, please, do you know who I am? You know, I'm world traveled. I've been here. I've been there. You're not on my level. And the match was worked like that. He dominated Ben K for a large portion of the match. This was not a typical Dragon Gate match where it's your turn, my turn, uh, nobody quote-unquote sells. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't a typical Dragon Gate-style match in that regard. It was Pac dominating this guy, getting over the story that, oh, wow, this shithead might be right. Maybe Ben K isn't in his league. Maybe he was right all along. And then every time Ben K showed some signs of life, here comes Red, right? So that's a good story. And they stuck to that all the way through. And I think that's what Pac is doing better than probably anybody on the planet this year is telling those kinds of stories in the ring. He's not, and, and we've been over this a million times, but this is not babyface Pac from 10 years ago, flippy do guy. He will do well-placed flippy do's. Don't get me wrong, but he's in there working to his character and working to his gimmick better than anyone right now and telling stories like this in the ring. Um, I'm kind of with you in that maybe I would have liked a little more out of Ben K at the end. It was a little abrupt, maybe a little more emphatic with such a long title run from a heel who terrorized the company. Maybe I want my brand new top star to really lay a beating on him at the end, a beating that maybe was unnecessary and maybe he could have put him away, but a little bit extra because that's what Pac's been doing to everybody. So that's a minor critique, but maybe the finish was a little abrupt and we didn't get enough out of Ben K towards the end. But I'm with you. This is an easy notebook match for me. The story was outstanding. The work was tremendous. I was a little worried about Ben K and whether he can work a long main event on the biggest show uh, you know, of the year in the company in a match where he's got to be nervous because they're anointing him the top star, okay? Because for all the praise we've given Ben K, and we handpicked this guy ourselves, Rich, and we will pat ourselves on the back. We picked this guy when he was a young boy to be the next big star in this company. And I'm talking big star, top guy. Okay, we knew this was coming. 
um, you know, for all of the praise that we've heaped on this guy for his charisma and his look and everything else, we've never gone out there and said he's a top tier worker. That we have not said. So I was a little worried from that perspective. But when you're in there with a pro like Pac, I thought uh, the work in the match was uh, was fantastic. I have no complaints about the work. Just minor gripes about how about the finish. But an easy notebook match. And uh, Ben Kane's off to a good start. And um, I, I don't think – I think it was important not only for Ben K to win, but to have a good performance. That was important, and I think he did have a good performance. Yeah, like you said, I mean, my, my gripe is that maybe there should have been a little bit more at the end, maybe a little bit more impactful, a few more moves, because it really was. I mean, once he got under control, he basically had it for the rest of the way. He did a few spears. Uh, I think it was two Ben K bombs and then pinned him, which it was definitive. Like, it felt like, oh, man, this guy won. But like like you said, I would have liked maybe a little bit more of like, no, 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 you, this, you've been terrorizing this company, and I'm taking it back. And, and to really prove it to you, I'm just going to live. But I get the idea, too, that like he didn't want to fuck around with it, and he just wanted to get the win and get the title. So I respect that story as well. But yeah, maybe a little bit more would have helped me in ratings wise but you can't really ask for you know the, the match itself i mean it felt like a success and it does feel like ben k is ready to sort of take this mantle so that that's really what i was coming out i, I didn't want like a, a t-hawk performance you know what i mean or, or like any of those performances where you're Nobody just like wants oh, a boy, t-hawk this, guy, nope. this guy like was way in over his head this is not good like it didn't feel like that he felt like he belonged even if maybe i have a little bit of gripe about how it ended so you wanted t-hawk wrestle one not t-hawk dragon Gate. exactly yes <laughs> yeah. god so to be fair to t-hawk but uh, what did you think? And this is a key moment when you get your first big win like this, and this is the biggest match of his life, and it may end up being the biggest match of his life when it's all said and done. What did you think of his reaction when the referee slapped three? Um, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I paid that much attention to it. I, I paid close attention. Yeah, to what it. did he do? I, I don't, I don't know if I remember now off the top of my head. It was good. He gave the whole. The expression that he gets, because that's important, I think, when you win your first big title like that and everything in a company where the titles matter and all that, like this one does. He gave, he had that perfect mix of like an energy dump and showing the exhaustion, but also, and relief and all that, but also joy. It was like the perfect mix. I thought he nailed that. That's why I asked you, because, um, you know, it's sometimes you, you want the right reaction in that spot. That's so important because. That clip of him pinning Pac is going to be shown a thousand times moving forward for the rest of his career. You're going to see that clip. And I think that's that's an underrated thing where you really want to nail that because that's a moment that people are going to see over and over and over and over for the rest of your life. So I thought he did a good job there. Um, now, as far as Ben K moving forward, I don't think he's a lock to be any kind of major success. Again, even with all the praise we've heaped on him, I think they've set him up well, and I think he has a chance. But, um, you know, as important as the title win was, I do think he has to also knock it out of the park in his first couple, you know, defenses after he wins the title, being such an unproven guy. So there's that aspect to it too. But um, a satisfying main event where he had the win. If he would have lost here, that would have been, one of the dumbest things and, and it would have been, I thought, I think devastating to him moving forward since he's lost a couple already and he had to win this one. And, uh, you know, and, and it does open things up now for Pac when he goes places, the, 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 the results are, are no longer a formality. And the other thing, Rich, is that now the rubber meets the road and we get to see the truth on this quote unquote visa issue because it's like, or, or should I say the quote unquote, creative difference right. yeah which which one is it because yeah you may have slipped there i i don't know some people have said visa and some people said creative differences but it's got to be one or the other at some point 
Well, I firmly believe it's a visa issue. I do too, yeah. And for whatever reason, AEW just didn't want it. I I think being honest and saying it was a visa issue would have been less annoying than telling people that there were creative differences. I don't know why they chose that path if it was indeed a visa issue. Because, um, again, I don't want to pull the curtain back. Why are you telling people there's creative – I don't – I don't like it, that. It's strange, yeah, because I think the the one idea is that maybe you make this guy into a bigger heel by saying that or whatever, but by the time he does come in, nobody's going to remember that, uh, that that he didn't want. But even then, like, I don't want that bull. That's Vince Russo bullshit. The, ah, yeah, this guy didn't want to do what was, uh, you know, on the book or whatever, and it's like, that's nobody cares about that bullshit. Like, nobody gives a shit about it. Just tell people, say, hey, look, we thought the Visa thing would be cleared up, It was, and it, and it wasn't. Everyone is understanding of Visa. I mean, I think this yes. year, if, if 2019 has taught us anything, is that people now understand how difficult Visas have become and, and, and are fully aware that, hey, look, like, I get it. It's okay. Just be out front and transparent and just say, hey, the Visa thing didn't work out. He's not booked for right now. When, he, when we get this cleared up, he'll be booked. Yeah. Like, that's it. You know, nobody asks another question. No follow-ups. Nobody cares. Well, here's what happened. No. Well, here's who dunks on that. Your hardcore militant WWE fans who think oh, it's funny. Who and, and here's the thing. You don't worry about them. And you know why you don't worry about them? Because they are going to watch your show anyway to dunk on you. They're, they're your most loyal customer. Because <laughs> right, they have to run to Twitter to say how bad it was. To talk about how bad your shows are. So you don't worry about them. Okay? You just tell the truth. I got to tell you, too. Even if it was creative differences, I would have blamed the visa. Yeah, I was going to say, been... now, 2019 is the, the in, in both good and bad. Like, if you're trying That's to grow foreign talent, it sucks. Because the visas, but if you want to just fake book guys and go, hey, look, the visas, hey, sorry, we wanted to, or yeah, yeah, like I would use that for every excuse for everybody. Yeah, we couldn't get MJF in uh, visa issues, like I, whatever. Not even, the, not, even the, not the fake book necessarily, but like if something like this happens and you know you can't get a guy to agree to a fit, it, it, you have that convenient excuse. I would still say it's a visa. It's wrestling. You can work people. You know, it, it's like when, when do we lose sight of that? But um, but anyway, now we'll see. Because those creative differences that they cited were presumably because he wouldn't do a job to Hangman Page as Dragon Gate champion, which we alluded to earlier. So if Pac all of a sudden is working all of the AEW shows, they were telling the truth, right? Because now he can come in and they can and he'll do any finish. But if he's still gone for an indeterminable amount of time, we know that they were full of shit. Right. And it is, in fact, a visa issue. So there's that interesting aspect, too. How he's booked now in, in in the various European indies, and how soon he comes back to AEW. But um, any other thoughts on the main event? Uh, one thing I I just wanted to ask about Pac, you know, sort of following up about the, I mean, the the show, uh, the match itself, yeah, definitely. Again, like I said, four stars, really enjoyed it. But um, do you foresee Pac sticking around with Dragon Gate? I don't know what I've I, I I've heard a few different things as far as his future with Dragon Gate and the future of all this sort of stuff. I guess the question depends on that visa issue. If the visa issue gets figured out, maybe he's the AEW full time. Like, but what what is your sort of read on it right now? Either what you've heard, what you know of of, of Pac hanging around, or is this it for him? Did he roll out of the ring and and now he's he's done with Dragon Gate? Haven't heard a thing. That's number one. Uh, my feeling on it is it can really go either way because there's obviously a loyalty there. And, you know, he loves Dragon Gate. He obviously was very protective of their title. He sees that as home. That's where he wanted to go when he left WWE. But the other side of it is, is his work done there for now? He saved their ass, Rich. Oh, he did. No, he did a I tremendous mean, job. You know, we they were in a shit, shit place when he showed up and attacked Shingo. 
and they reintroduced him back into the company and, and he ignited a fire back under that company. And it wasn't – and for Westerners for sure, they had lost a ton of Western interests when they lost Tozawa, Shingo, and Shima and the other guys. He comes back. All of a sudden, English-speaking Dragon Gate fans are back on board. But their business has improved since he's returned. We just talked about how much better this show did than last year. He saved that company. So um, – and, and that's not even overstating it. So maybe the idea is, you know, I came here. I did what I needed to do. Maybe he does go away for a while, or maybe he, you know, does explore if the visa's cleared up. Maybe he gets a big six-figure deal from AEW. It's obvious that they like him and they would like to have him. Um, I'm sure if he hasn't at some point, he will get a call from New Japan. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't you be interested in this guy? Um, he is one of the most intriguing and interesting wrestlers on the planet, and he would help any promotion that he stepped foot in. So. I mean, really, he's in a great position. You know, he could stick it out in Dragon Gate. I'm sure they'd love to keep him. Or he could shop his services elsewhere and really call his own shot. You know, if you're Pac right now, you're in a perfect position. So I don't know anything, but... You know, he can pop up anywhere but WWE, and it wouldn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, for sure. And I think he showed his word to a company, too. If you're a company and, and, and you're worried about whatever, but if you if you, if you can get some sort of agreement with Pac, and, and that's not to say he's going to be exactly like he was to Dragon Gate to every other company or any other company that he works for, but but I, I definitely have a, a lot of confidence in that guy moving forward. Because like I said, I think he, and, and you mentioned it too, like business-wise in terms of Western fans, I mean, he rose the profile more than anybody has in years and years and years maybe since the days uh, of dg usa just by coming out with that title and making it seem like a big deal he carried himself like a big deal and he carried that title around and he made everybody know that he was the the top champion in dragon gates and if you hadn't heard of dragon gate in a while it, it it i'm sure it led to a lot of people going okay well this dragon gate thing i remember them or oh they're still around or like i'm positive there was that there's no reason the reason they're doing Eng- english language is obviously the dragon gate understands that that has sort of grown in the west and, and and grown elsewhere so they wouldn't have done this you know two three four years ago and the fact that they're doing it is, is I think not only not not just a testament to Pac, but I'm sure he played a, a very huge role in that. So yeah, you can't oh, it can't be understated how yeah. important he was to Dragon Gate. So if this is it for him, and 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 yeah, definitely did a great job uh, getting this company back on track in a lot of ways, both storyline wise um, and and exposure wise. And then yeah, just I'm I'm very very curious for the next step because he's one of my, one of the most intriguing wrestlers in wrestling right now, just because he's he's just he, it's so simple what he does, but it's so effective. This was the kind of title reign too that when it ends, you kind of have to go away for a while. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm fine with him like going away for three months. Even if, even if he's gonna come back, like I don't want him back yes. the next day. Like just yes. like ah, oh, whatever. Didn't win the title. Nah, whatever. Like he's got to go away. He's got to go into hiding. Yeah. <laughs> even if he's staying with Dragon Gate, this is one of those title reigns where you lose and you fucking disappear. It's just the way that it. Yeah. So I completely agree with that. All right. So you want to? Uh, so now I don't know where to go on this because, like I said, there's so much good stuff on the well, show. Well, let's just work. Ah, we started at the bottom. Let's work our way up. All right. Let's do it. Let's do that. So we've got the. Uh, now, this is the match that seems to be the consensus match of the night. This was uh, Red. This was Big R, Shimizu, and Eita defeating Kai and Yamato and Keito Ishida and Naruki Doi. The three-way tag team title match. Um, okay, first right off the top, was this your match of the night? It was not. Okay. Don't spoil that. We'll talk about your match of the night when we get to it. Um, I don't know if it's my match of the night because I loved like four matches on this show and I, I can't choose between them. They're like my children and I but but it was a great match. 
I do think it had some flaws. I don't know if I agree with like the four and three quarter star ratings I'm seeing, the five star ratings I'm seeing for this one. Uh, Meltzer watched this show and rated it. I didn't read the new Observer yet. I don't know how high he went on it. He went four and three quarters. Okay, Dave went four and three quarters. What did our uh, Case Low do it for us, or did Mike Spears? Uh, do? Case Low did. Let me let me find out what Case had on there. So okay, we can and kind then, of come to a sort of an average here of, of what people have. So yeah, let's see. Because this is the match that most people are talking about. Um, I will check Grapple as well. I, I have the Grapple up for you right now if you want. 4.5 okay. on Grapple right now. That's the average. Okay. Still loading up the uh, the Kobe World one right now. Stupid website, man. This website needs to be faster. Um, <laughs> anyway. This producer is the worst. He's yeah, it's just garbage. Well, whoever runs this website, they're, they're both the producer and this, the guy who runs this website really needs to figure these things out. Absolutely. Uh, Case went four and three quarters. You went Dave Meltzer yeah. four and three quarters there. So, okay. Yes, I don't know. I'd go like probably four and a half or something. Um I'm not ready to go like four and three quarter or five. I went four and a quarter. I really hated this match. I thought it fucking sucked. Well, you you hate this whole show. <laughs> Clearly, but... just, they, wait. They were... just wait, just wait. You're gonna take that back in a little bit here. But this was a great fucking match, and I thought that um, the glue that held it together was Ata. And you know that I love this guy. I think he is such a great heel, and he's such a little annoying shitbag. Oh, he's such that... a fucking prick. I hate his face so much. Yeah, and you just want to see him get his. And there were so many great spots here where he was in a position to get his, and he was either saved or he got his. You know, and I and I really think that his segments held it together. Um, the Kato Ashida and the Rookie Doi. Naruki Doi was. Let me tell you something. He was so good in this match, and he's no fucking spring chicken either. But- no, no. I, I did want to say though, when, on the eight to point, like when you can when you can be the biggest prick in a match that also features Naruki Doi. You're doing something well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like Rookie Doi is is the prick of all pricks, but I still thought Ata was the bigger prick in this match, which is yeah. uh, a tremendous accomplishment for him. But uh, Doi, I mean, you know, one of the most underrated tag team, like we know, and Dragon Gate fans know, and Deep Pearl fans know, but I don't know that the world knows that Naruki Doi is one of the best tag team wrestlers of all time. He's 38 I mean, years old. You would never know that. <laughs> He's 38. He is just one of the best of all time. I mean, a tag team yeah. wrestler. I mean, singles wrestler, I, I think he's, a, he's one of those guys with better tag. Nice little singles wrestler. Don't get me wrong. But he thrives in a tag team scenario and a multi-man scenario. Okay? Uh, so he was great. That team was eliminated first. And then it came down to uh, uh, Tribe Vanguard and the red team. And then the, uh, the heels win the titles in the end. Uh, Big R Shimizu, of course, was tossing people around with the fucking uh, shot put slam. Uh, they did the big spot with the chairs, which got reversed into a, a big uh, uh, double superplex spot onto the chair. Look, this had so much action, it's pointless to go over it. There's a couple of flaws. I thought the opening five minutes or so with some of the outside the ring brawling, I mean, that didn't do anything for me. And I think the match may have went a tad too long. Yeah, those, those are my two things, so I guess I, I can do it right now. I mean, the, the, the crowd brawling lost me a little bit at the beginning, and that's always one of my issues uh, with some of these big Twin Gate matches is that, yeah, they'll just start kind of brawling out into the crowd and doing that sort of stuff, and that kind of loses me a little bit. They got it right back on track, but then, yeah, it went 27 minutes, and I'm just, like, watching it being like, all right, <laughs> like, I'm ready for this to to end a little bit. And and I think had they shaved off maybe five minutes, I'd be a little bit higher, but it did feel like it got a little longer than two, and it was kind of like, all right, like, especially knowing what's going to come next and that I was so anticipating Ben K and Pac that I was kind of ready for that match to end when it eventually did, and it took forever. I think it was 20 minutes. Uh, until the first elimination happened too, when with, with Doi and Ishida getting eliminated first, so that seemed to go on for a while. And then you know the second part of the match seemed to go a little quicker. It was only about seven minutes uh, until Big R and Ata got the win there. But uh, yeah, it just maybe went a little too long for me. So I, I echo almost the same sort of thoughts that you have in terms of stuff that maybe didn't land with you. 
there were four matches on this show that I thought were, um, you know, picture perfect examples of the Toriyaman slash Dragon Gate style. And this was one of them, you know, with a few uh, evolutionary modern twists with the uh, with the red stuff. And um, the other two were the two openers that we'll talk about later on and, and the match that I'm going to transition to right now, which was the big Ultimo Dragon return, which it was Dragon Kid, Masato Yoshino, and Ultimo Dragon defeating Masaki Mochizuki, Suji Kondo, and Takuya Sugawara. A lot of history, a lot of guys coming back to the company here, uh, most notably Ultimo Dragon, of course, but Rich, to me, this is the match that not enough people are talking about. I watched it for the second time today, preparing for this show, um, and I this might be my favorite match of the show um, because it just so thick with history, number one. I'm watching this show, and I see Ultimo Dragon, and I see Kondo, and I'm thinking, man, this could have been it for the last 20 years. Like, these guys, it didn't have to be like this. All this drama and the Turiamon system, and how many great matches and moments were we deprived of because Tsuji Kondo was, was, a, was fucking, had his heat with everybody, and Ultimo Dragon, of course, working his first Dragon Gate match ever on this show as a broken-down old man. And I do have to say, this was his best performance I've seen in years. I mean, he still looks the part, but whether it's because he's not interested in going hard anymore because, fuck it, why should he? And I don't blame him if he doesn't. Or whether he can't because he's hurting, he rarely ever goes hard. I mean, he'll put you to sleep, this guy, over the last few years. And I love him. But whether it was the six-man atmosphere or the speed of the match. and Because now that I think about it, he really didn't do a ton. Hey, but it that's, felt that's like... When Ultimate's at his best these days, is, that's what he does. He, he, he leads you into thinking you're going to see classic Ultimate Dragon. And, and like, I don't think he's done quote-unquote classic Ultimate Dragon matches in like 20 years, but you always get... Oh, Asai Mutsal, it's going to happen, and then it gets cut off. We're always going to do it, and then it gets cut off. Always gonna, no, it gets cut off. Like, he'll... he'll play the hits quote unquote but he doesn't like play them all the way like he starts playing them and then it stops and that's that's enough for people i think to kind of feel like they're still getting the, the ultimate dragon thing but i think what what really comes across more than anything is that he still looks like a million bucks like he looks yes. the, the mask looks awesome the the gear looks awesome his body is still in awesome shape and the, and the stuff he does do mostly the ground-based stuff is still pretty solid he just can't fly he just can't do the assignment moves all he can't do topes he can't do that sort of stuff anymore or doesn't want to whatever it is but they do a great job of getting you ready for it getting the build for it like i, I know in, in one spot i know he was going to do the asai moonsault i think it was a uh, sugawara i think that cut him off and it was like the biggest heat segment of the entire thing because the crowd was like oh yes we're gonna see the asai moonsault and it's like i saw him at AEW. he he, he did a shot here in uh who went to LaSalle rather which is a bizarre story as well Volto drag go to LaSalle, illinois to, to work an indie show but like it was the same thing me and case low went and it was the same deal where like we all got ready for Ultimo to do all the Ultimo stuff, but he just got cut off every single time. All the essay, oh no, okay, like oh the tope, no, it's not going to happen, and that's fine. Like it, it's it's more the anticipation, the idea of Ultimo Dragon that's a little bit more now than ever. But like you said, he, he worked it at a different speed than he's worked his his random All Japan, you know, undercard six mans where he's just kind of like in there, he kicks a few care. times and doesn't do anything. So yeah, he just doesn't care. But like you're would saying, you? <laughs> would you? I mean, I don't blame him. <laughs> no, I would not. But like you're saying, he's he's using the teases of his big spots to get heat. Yes. Because you mentioned it, the Stugawara spot where dragon was milking the crowd reaction as he's teasing this dive. Right. And he's looking around and he's an old pro, right? He's milking in, he's taking in the reaction. He's getting people hyped up for this dive and Sugawara cuts it off. And rich, that was the, 
that got more heat than anything oh, on the show. Oh, that place was up for grabs. They, they, people wanted to stab Sugar for taking the Asai Moonsault away from them. They've been dying. In 20 years, they wanted to see Ultimo Dragon do an Asai Moonsault in a Dragon Gate ring, and he was just about to do it, and that prick had to stop him. It was and, and molten so, and, hot in there. And Sugawara's face as he was taking in the heat. <laughs> yeah, he knew it. Right? Yeah, he, he knew he was a prick. Yeah, he did. That's the one moment in the match I'll never forget was this guy not doing a big spot. So he's mastered that art, like yes. you're saying, of milking, not doing the spot to get to, to, to build heat uh, for the match. So that was very memorable. And, you know, Mo- Mochizuki taking the fall. I mean, you know, the egos are all put aside here. And seeing Suji Kondo in there taking people's heads off. Oh, and the- God, Suji Kondo was incredible in this match. This was he, oh, the lariats he was throwing in this match were. Yeah. I, when I saw him doing that, like you said, I had the same thought that you did. Like, God damn it, this guy could have been in this company for the last 20 years taking dudes' heads off. And now, like, he had to do all this stuff and float around and do all this sort of stuff. And it's just like, oh, man, like, he's awesome. Like, how many, uh, he how many kids' head off was so, oh, my God, Dragon Kid sold his ass off in this match, too. But Kondo was great. How many Suji Kondo Shingo matches were we denied? Or- Don't stop. What, what if those guys were a fucking tag team just running through all these fucking Taking heads, yes. skinny juniors all of these years and just destroying them? I mean, you know, the, the possibilities are endless. I love that Suji Kondo, what's he, like 5'8", 220? He was like a monster of this match. Yeah, the classic. Yeah, I love Dragon Gate, man. Dragon Gate's the best. Like, you could be, you could be my height and be a monster <laughs> Like, Suji Kondo's like, he might as well have been Daisuke Sakamoto in there, just like throw it. And it's just because Dragon Kid's like, you know, a child. But it's, it's, I love 5'8. 5'8 might be generous. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a very stumpy 5'8 if that's actually the, uh, the shoot height. But classic power junior, you know, and, and, and I, I love that guy. But he's been sleezing around, bouncing from all these, you know, different promotions all these years because the guy was shunned. But, um, yeah, to me, this was this may have been my favorite match. I thought it all landed, and and I really got caught up in the historical aspect of it and what it meant. And I really think they picked the perfect people to be in the match too, mm-hmm. on both sides. And um, it just all worked. I thought it was great. An- another easy notebook match. Yeah, I went four and a half with it. I, I love this match, and, and and I know the consensus. I think Grapple had it around like four or something like that. But I went no, four and a half no, you want no. Grapple has it at 3.6, oh, and I'm glad God. you brought that up because three, it's up you, to 3.7 after my rating got in there. So, if you watch I'm doing my this part, match, Joe, I'm doing my part. I'm sorry, I did this last week, but I'm doing it again. If you watch this fucking match, okay, with all the history and the way this match went, and thank you, Horiguchi, crying buckets <laughs> doing commentary, yeah, crying afterwards. If you can watch he this cried before the bell rang and he's just a, a mess. They cut to him. Did you, I don't know if that came across on the Japanese. They ring the bell and they show Genki Horiguchi and he's a wreck. Like the bell rang. Like nobody did anything. And he's sobbing uncontrollably. And you see like whoever's next to him on commentary, like patting him on the back. Cause he just can't even handle it. He's just like, I'm so uh, it, unbelievable. Yeah. What, what a moment. Yeah. And if you watch this match as great as it was with all the history and everything else, and you go, ah, yeah, you know, that was 3.25. Stop watching, Rick. Just go away. <laughs> Find a new hobby. It's a disgrace that this match isn't four stars or better on that app. I can't, I cannot understand it. I mean, in, in, unless you started watching wrestling 15 minutes ago and you don't, and you can't appreciate what was happening, but even then, you could still be able to feel the emotion around this thing. Okay, I, I don't understand. This was not a fucking 3.6 match. 
Right. I thought the work was solid enough, too. Like, I, I get that maybe, like, people are like, hey, yeah, motion-wise, it was great. And it's a match you have to see. But the work wasn't all that solid. I thought the work was tremendous. Like, you talk yes, about Kondo was. taking heads off, Dragon Kid being Dragon Kid. I always, I always really like Dragon Kid. Yoshino looking great in this match. He was bouncing all around the ring, throwing those drop kicks left and right. Ultimo Dragon, I think, you, like you said, you got the best that you could possibly get out of him. Mochizuki could roll out of bed and, and, and have an incredible match. And Sugawara was there, and he got the good heat segment. But other than that, like, it's fine. Like, five of the six guys were on, like, their best. Their absolute best on this match, and I just can't fathom anybody watching this and just not thinking the work was incredible because I just thought it was spectacular. Yeah, and then the, the way they had the crowd in the palm of their hands—I mean, shit—I don't know what the fuck these people are watching. But um, anyway, we had the Brave Gate. This was uh, uh, now that now we had the intermission, but the intermission—they came out of the intermission with the Ultimo Dragon Six Man. So they did the three matches after the intermission. The last match before the intermission was the Brave Gate. My boy Susumu Yokozuka, who I think is one of the most underrated wrestlers of this era, he defeats Flamita. Rich, this was another match I loved. I loved almost every match on this show, but this was another match I loved. I thought this was the best Flamita match in years. And believe me, I'm watching his grimy fucking. Indie, <laughs> I'm watching his indie lucha shit. You're not even watching that stuff, but. This is the best Flamita match I've seen in years. This was vintage Flamita. Susumu Yokozuka is uh, one of the most underrated wrestlers of his era. I think he's one of the best wrestlers of his era. And, um, yeah, I thought, again, uh, this is notebook material. Low fours for me for this, for Susumu Yokozuka defeating Flamita uh, at the end of their very long story as well in this Brave Gate match. What would you think of this? Yeah, I went four flat on it. Um, I really enjoyed it. I like the idea of Flamita sort of working his knees. There were some times, too, where, like, you know, he's selling his knee, selling his knee, and then when he had to do, like, you know, Flamita stuff, he would just kind of forego the knee selling and kind of go right back to what he was doing or dropping guys on his knees or whatnot. But I thought, ultimately, I think they did a good job of telling that story. And, and, and I'm right with you that Sumu is just, like, Next level great. He's like an all-time great. One of the more underrated wrestlers uh, maybe ever. I mean, really, honestly, if you say that. Like, I don't think it's that insane. Hey, hey, look, look, the guy is not like a superstar, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But if you're talking about just a a lunch pail, if you want to use any kind of dated fucking analogy. Yeah, hard hat lunch pail. (laughs) Go to work, yeah. Your lunch pail, your glue guy on a roster, your fucking bell to bell, you stick him in there, the good hand, whatever you want to say. He just doesn't get the credit he deserves probably because he never became like – he was never the top star in the company or or became a worldwide superstar like some of these other guys did or may not have the charisma that some Yeah, of- I was going to say definitely the charisma thing. Like he comes out and you can tell he's just a guy that just wants to go to work. You know what I mean? Like you want him on your yeah. team. Like you said, when you talk about the hard hat lunch pail and the, the glue guy or whatever, like he doesn't get into the bullshit. He doesn't get all that. But once you once that bell rings, he's going to give you an incredible match. Like Or like if he's a, if he's a baseball player, you know you're going to get a good outing out of him. If he's a basketball player, you're going to get – like whatever analogy you want to use, sports analogy, like he's never going to be the most boisterous guy. He's never going to go out there. I mean he's obviously – he's in natural vibes, but he wasn't out there for their dance routine before because like it's a sumo. Like you know he can't dance you know that he doesn't want to dance you know that they said hey you want to go out and dance he goes no i don't want to dance but when that bell rings you know he wants to go out there and have a great wrestling match and that's what he just does so yeah the guy's just a great wrestler and um he showed it again here and yeah he he's the worst dancer <laughs> he's so, he's, so he, he's like what i would be like if i ended up in that fucking unit he yeah, just stands there it's and hilarious and it's like, why are you torturing him? I just want him to w- hand wave it and walk out of the ring half. Well, the he, time. he did that. They had their big routine uh, before. I forget which match they had that where, where they had their big song and dance thing. And maybe between the KZ, Ashwin uh, Skywalker thing. Yeah, it was before that match. And Suma was not there because they were just like, look, everybody else in this unit can kind of dance, sorta. You can't. It's okay. Just just hang out in the back, man. And, no, and no. it was a better segment for it. I want him to hand wave it while he's doing it. Like, I want <laughs> oh, him you want him just sit in the corner? Like you want him? At, I, I I like him to like. 
would I'm sure what you do, uh, guy at a, at a wedding that doesn't want to dance, that maybe just posts up by the bar or they're like by the back door, they're kind of like hanging on the wall, arms crossed, sipping on a drink or whatever, just like yeah, all right, <laughs> like you know, YMCA is playing in the background. You're just kind of like you know, sipping your drink, watching other people. You know, people say your name, you just kind of like yeah, yeah, what's up, what's going on? But they know that you don't want to dance, and, and it's fine. Like everyone agrees, it's okay. You're you're still not understanding me. I want him to be in the ring mid dance and hand wave it. <laughs> Just say fuck this to show that how stupid it is. Oh, how dare you! He just because he just wants to get to work and wrestle and win matches, and I don't want to see the goofy natural vibe. I just want to watch wrestling. Oh, you're so a I, monster. I associate. I I can feel for Suma when he's in there going through the motions. <laughs> I want him to hand wave it and just step through the ropes and be like, "When do we wrestle? When do I get to beat someone up?" Because I can't take this dopey dance. But anyway, uh, we move on. We had a uh, another title change here. Finally, my boys, the machines, Strong F, Strong G, the mysterious Strong F and Strong G. We don't know who they are. Who knows? And Strong Machine J, they knock off Kazuma Sakamoto, Takashi Yoshida, and Yasushi Hey, Kanda. where's Gamma been, by the way? I'm curious. You know... <laughs> It's been years since we unmasked a man. I'm not. I'm just asking. Completely unrelated to Strong Machine G or Strong Machine F. Where, where's Gamma and uh? And you got to get us in trouble. I you haven't said get... anything. I'm just curious. I just thought about it all of a sudden. I love Larry Dallas when. <laughs> yeah, I think he unmasked him, didn't he? No, he didn't. Bokini said, uh, 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 "Larry, so you've been uh, you've been doing some journalism, trying to research this. Have you have you been able to determine who these men are?" And uh, Larry Dallas is like, I got to tell you, Rich, I asked everybody at the dojo. I asked my taxi driver. I asked the people at the hotel, and nobody knows who these men are. I'm, I'm, I'm still digging. I'm trying. That was, it was funny, you know, because it's like it, it, they, they understood. Like, that was one of my fears. Are they going to get this? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to, but, but they totally, you know, uh, you know, got it, and they didn't uh, do what you just did. And I, I, uh, what are you talking about? I didn't do anything. You just unmasked Strong Machine G. I you, never you, did. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Why else would you bring up Gamma? I was just thinking of Gamma all of a sudden. Well, you've destroyed the gimmick, and now they're going to lose the titles. That's all you're <laughs> Damn it. So, yes, uh, I destroyed the gimmick, yes. <laughs> so anyway. I like uh, that strong machine, Jeff, though. I like the cut of that kid's jib. Uh, that's uh, a little bit of a badass. I like I like his vibe. So. Who, the, who Jay? Uh, Jay? Jay's good. I like F. I like F. Uh, like F? Young, young upstart F. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, again, do I don't go- know who he is. But what are you, uh, gorilla? What are you gorilla Monsoon? <laughs> Carlos Colon, yeah. This fiery youngster? Who I don't know how old he young- is. I don't. You say I'm unmasked. These guys. I am not. I think it's strong machine F. I don't know how old he is. Who did he call a youngster? Was it Carlos Colon? The Carlos Colon. It was the Royal Rumble '93, and he goes, "Ah, youngster, Carlos Colon." I think it was like 46. Had to be 50. Yeah, like, Had to be 50. I think. I think yeah. the exact age, if Carlos Colon's birthday is to be believed, uh, he was like 47 or something like that, or 46 yeah. or 47. So not even like I think maybe the oldest guy in the entire match too. But yeah, youngster Carlos Colon. Was that the same Royal Rumble that legitimate youngster Takeo Omori was? No, that was 1995. 95 okay. was Amori. Why do I know that? That's so terrible that I know that off the top of my head. That it What's wasn't it? even like a second of thought that, no, Joe, kidding. it was the 1995 Rumble that Amori was on. I'm going to tell you why you know. Number one, you do a top wrestling podcast. That's okay, crazy. so you know the information. Number two, you're a big Get Wild fan. Always have been. You're so, right. Even from it? that moment, I guess maybe it was that. Maybe I didn't even know how long it was. Maybe it was that first moment I saw him in Royal Rumble 1995. And I was like, this guy, I like the cut of his jib again. So, um yeah. So the machines yes. are your new 
Triangle Gate champions. Not much of a crowd reaction for the machines. Nah, this match wasn't very good either. Um, I liked the match. I actually did like the match. Um, I thought the match over-delivered, to be honest. Um, I thought it was a nice little match. I'd go three and a quarter, somewhere in that range, maybe three and a half, uh, for being generous. Uh, I think Strong Machine J, who is the son of the legitimate, uh, you know, Super Strong Machine from from New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, has a ton of potential. And look, they were up against, you know, they weren't exactly in there with Misawa, Kabashi, and Kawada. I mean, let's be honest. You know, uh, Kazuma Sakamoto is having a nice little year, but you know, you're in there with Cyber Kong and Kanda, who, you know, if you're talking about the bottom dregs of the roster, I mean, there you go. Um, so I thought it was a decent little match. It was what it was supposed to be. I love their entrance theme. The old super strong, the old That machine. is awesome. I do get ready. I do get hyped up for that. That might be my new entrance entrance song when I have sex. I might use the machine's theme as my entrance music uh, for when I come in to lay down a, a little bit of Lanza action. I'm thinking about <laughs> The that. other Strong Machine. Strong Machine L. Yeah, I guess that could be your... Strong Machine L. That is there available. That is available. Absolutely it is. But, um, yeah, nice little match. Uh, the, the gimmick seems to have run its course already with Dragon Gate fans, though, so bad timing. It's clear they wanted to wait till Kobe World to crown these guys, but I think the gimmick wore thin a little before that. So I don't know where you go from here. I mean, eventually this guy has got to be a singles wrestler. Uh, and, you know, you got to let him out from under the tutelage of these two supposed veterans. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, did not get much of a reaction. And the hardcore Dragon Gate fans aren't in love with this. I am still into it, though. I still pop for the machines when they come out. And I, I, I still think it's a lot of fun. I like it, too. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. But I, I, I do enjoy it. It may have been the weakest match on the show. But to me, you're still talking about like a three and a quarter, three and a half star match. I didn't. I, I thought the work was OK. Yeah, Maybe, I was like three on the dot with it, which, again, like if that's your worst match. Then that's, that's a good fine. match. It's yeah, a good right, match. Right. It's like because, I mean, you're talking about when I look at the opponents, to me, to me, it over delivered. But anyway. Uh, KZ versus Shun Skywalker. They added this to the show very late, and it was like, you know, the two fastest rising uh, stars in the company in a singles match. And you're like, holy shit, we're getting KZ versus Shun Skywalker. And holy shit, Rich, did this deliver? This was fucking great. Uh, and again, this is one of the three or four matches which, to me, I cannot choose between as my favorite match on the show. But these two guys went in there and just murdered each other, particularly KZ, who, I don't, what the fuck? I mean, he went in there like he was fucking, uh, you know, um, a fucking shooter. I, I felt like he – was there heat? Does he have heat? I don't know. I, I thought so because, yeah, these guys went at it like it was like a, you know, like a, a shoot style, you know, because it was only about 12 minutes. And it felt like that too because every single strike, every single – and I think Case even put that in his review. Like every strike, every planche, every kick was just like stiff as fuck and fast as fuck. And like these guys thought they had a five-minute time limit or they just wanted to kill the other guy as quickly as possible. I don't know what the hell was going on here, but I fucking loved it, man. This match was incredible. It's my match of the night. Far and away my match of the night. Yeah, I thought KZ must have watched like Akira Maeda tapes before. That's he got what him. I mean. He was it pissed was, off with something. I, I don't you know, know. I'm waiting for him to break the guy's eye socket, you know, and, and Shun Skywalker showed off um, his incredible flying. He kind of lost his balance on a springboard move, but then, uh, you know, he, he saved it. That would have been a disaster, but he saved And it was actually more impressive because he did lose his balance and then save it. But these two guys went out there and did not fucking disappoint. I mean, you can go four and a half on this, and I don't think you'd be crazy. I mean, what about if you go four and three quarters, Joe? Is that what you did, Mr. I did. Critch? I fucking loved it. Yeah. I'm doing See, we it. call you care. stingy and we call you cheap, but four and three quarters for this one. And I, listen, I can't kill you. This was a great fucking match. And uh, KZ picks up the win. And these two guys, I mean, KZ is having an incredible year. One of the most underrated guys around. Shun Skywalker probably gets a little more hype. 
um, than KZ at this point. He, you know, he's a guy that, you know, we, we talked about his troubles getting booked WrestleMania weekend and then none of it worked out anyway because of the visas. But, um, you know, if all that gets worked out, Shun Skywalker is a guy. It'll be a year late, okay, because he would have killed it this year. And, and it was it's funny because this was a WrestleMania weekend where nobody really stood out. Like, who was the wrestler of the weekend? You know what I mean? It wasn't one of those weekends where it's like, oh, Keith Lee owned the weekend. Right, or, right, right. Or Will Ospreay, he just fucking crushed it in New Orleans and owned the weekend. We didn't have a guy like that in New York, you know? And it, it's like, it's a shame. And, and you know, maybe if they do get those guys in there next year, Shun Skywalker can be that kind of guy, but just a year too late. But this was a great fucking match. Yeah, I mean, I, I love a match, too, like 12 minutes, and there wasn't a second to breathe, a second to rest, a second to look away. Like, you had to put 100% focus on every second of this match because something was going to happen. Somebody was going to do something. It's it's like it's like the best and the worst, quote-unquote, worst of Dragon Gate. When, when people, you know, say that Dragon Gate sucks or they hate it or whatever, like, matches like this are ones that they bring up where guys are just going a mile a minute or whatever. Fuck those people because I love these style of matches because this is what makes me love Dragon Gate is these two guys just – from the opening bell until the final stretch, just boom, 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 boom. Like every, but everything matters. Like everything makes sense and it all sort of works together. And you buy into that. These guys, that's all they want to do is, is beat the other guys. So it's like, I don't hate that. Like there's people that will bring that up and say it's negative or yada, 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 whatever. I don't care about those people because this is what I love about dragon. And that's why I went so high at it because this is like, ah, yes, this is what like, and it's been like, it's been, it seems seemingly like years since I've really felt this about a dragon Gate match in quite some time. The KZ Pac was very, very close, but this was like pure, like this is why, I love this company so much as a match like this was just incredible action, fast pace, just things that you can't believe work out. Like they go so fast and so quick and everything's so coordinated that you cannot even fathom how these guys can do it uh, and, and do it well without breaking each other's necks or killing each other. And they just find a way to do it because they're just so talented. There are Dragon Gate matches where I understand why people don't like them. If you don't, if you didn't like this match, I, I have questions. Yeah, get a new hobby again. It's like you I said, mean, I see this is like a universe. This to me is like a universal match. I don't care what promotion it is. This was just a great little match. I mean, you might not think it's four and three quarters great, but there's no way I can't fathom a wrestling fan would watch this match and not come away thinking I was entertained. Right. It was hard hitting. It was fast. It was great dynamic flying. It had everything. Right. Yeah, I don't know what you, what the flaw would be here, but I'm sure someone there's, has it. So. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you can watch this and not be entertained by it. I, I, I did. I think this match is a universal one. Whereas let's say, the three-way twin gate, I get it. Mm-hmm. It went on forever. A lot of Dragon Gate shit. The bullshit with the ref. The re- Dragon Gate has the worst referees in the world, and it, you know you have to suspend your disbelief for the fucking ref standing there hugging the random red member. I- <laughs> While so, chairs are getting hit and things are flying behind listen, them. Listen, yeah, and that's a Dragon Gate thing that you just have to kind of yeah. accept as part of the style. And I know that some people can't. That match, I get it. If you're like halfway through, you're like, this is not for me. But the KZ Shun Skywalker match, I can't fathom a wrestling fan watching that and saying, eh, that was no good. I would really have to question your taste and, and why you have this particular – why do you even like wrestling? I mean that's how good this match was. I, I don't know. So um, this one too, Hongman Choi defeats Ryu Saito and Stalker Ichikawa. If you couldn't get into this – no, but seriously, as a comedy match – this hit and and rich you know i'm not big into the comedy oh really i I haven't heard that so there's a rumor going around that joe lanza is not into (laughs) comedy comedy. okay i'm interested okay Uh, carry on carry on you know i love stalker itch to me he's the greatest comedy wrestler of all time his shit just lands with me um you know i watch colt cabana when you know 
he's doing and I, it's like it's not for me i watch joey ryan and i'm like never again i no interest in joey ryan i respect orange his cassidy. hustle orange cassidy he's trying it. though it's hilarious <laughs> like, yeah i mean you know that irony bullshit you can go fuck yourself i'm not into any of it okay ddt never laugh it just doesn't land with me. DDT's comedy is the dirt worst. It's never funny to me. Well, I won't agree with that, but you, you were you were on a good path before that. I, I'm talking, I do like the DDT, I'm talking DDT's me. comedy at times. I'm yeah. talking me. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Antonio Honda, the, the unfunniest wrestler possible. I mean, I just he does kind of suck. Yeah, no, he he sucks. You know, it's like, but Stalker Ichikawa, for whatever reason, he hits every note with me. It just works. The shit is legitimately laugh out loud funny. And this match with Chong Man Hoy, the man who would have gotten maybe killed by Brock Lesnar if that fight would have taken place. Oh my many God, years he was supposed to fight Brock Lesnar. I know you're not an MMA fan, Rich. Oh no. Brock Lesnar's very first MMA fight for K1 was supposed to take place. Uh, it was the show in the LA Coliseum where you remember Johnny Morton got knocked out in like eight seconds and never fought again. And got popped for steroids for his trouble. Do you remember that or no? I don't know. Was he the, the, the former football player? Yeah, the lion. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I do remember that now. Yeah, yeah. So they booked Johnny Morton for this MMA show because it was in the LA Coliseum, and he was a star for USC, right? So he was going to be part of um, the draw, and he talked all this shit. He fought Bernard Acca. Bernard Acca was this uh, K one kickboxer. So he wasn't even like a full-time MMA guy. He was like a kickboxer who did MMA sometimes, and not any kind of star or top-ranked dude. He knocked out Johnny Morton in like 10 seconds. And and when I say knocked out, it was one of those like highlight reel ones where it looks like the guy's dead, right? And then on top of that, Morton got popped for steroids. So like a total disaster. We've never heard from Johnny Morton again. He might be dead for all I know. But on that show, the main event was supposed to be Brock Lesnar versus Chong Manhoy. And it was supposed to be this freak show fight. Brock Lesnar's MMA debut coming from pro wrestling. Chong Manhoy, a legitimate seven foot five, whatever the fuck he is. Rich, Chong Manhoy had the Pilatlef fight. I think it's when he got his surgery for his acrimology, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, he had to pull out and they replaced him with some um, uh, Korean judo dude or something whose name yeah, Min Soo Kim, it looks like. Min Soo Kim, I think is his name. So Yeah, who I think fought a couple more times but has like a losing record and never amounted to anything in MMA. But um, yeah, so it was supposed to be Brock Lesnar versus Chong Manhoy. And I... I genuinely think that Brock may have murdered that guy. Uh, <laughs> he would have immediately shot on him and take and taken him down easily on those long ass legs break, and just definitely break one of his legs for sure. <laughs> just like punch the hell out of him. Yeah, that could have been. And, and you're talking peak physical Brock, you know, uh, so forget it. You know, he's probably what, 35 or 33 years old at the time. He's probably in his mid to early 30. I mean, he just would have killed him. But anyway, we have uh, Chong Man Hoy. There was a uh, Sakuraba versus Gracie fight on that show too. And look at that. It looks actually pretty. It looks like a hell of a show. <laughs> I don't love MMA, but uh, I like freak show MMA sometimes. But yeah, it looks like some good stuff on there. It was uh, yeah, a show Gracie a Sakuraba of- is, is the semi main, and the Brock Lesnar yeah. uh, versus Minsu Kim or whatever is, is your main. A lot of name value on the show, and you know Japanese MMA. You know it's more of a show. So yeah, you had Sakuraba versus uh, Gracie and. Brock main event, Johnny Morton versus Bernard Aka. Oh, you um, you got his brothers on the uh, <laughs> preliminary card. Unaired, though. Ah, damn it. You can't see all the... I think his younger I, brother, I want to say. Younger I want to say 
I want to say Brad Pickett was on that show. Was Brad, Brad Pickett, Pickett on? I don't know who Brad Pickett is, but uh, let's He's see a... if Brad Pickett is on the show. Uh, yeah, he lost to uh, Hideo Takoro. Yeah, I remember a lot about that. It was a pay per view, and I remember ordering that. And um, it was a real entertaining show. I mean, it bombed. I mean, I think it drew like <laughs> two thousand fans to like the hundred thousand seat coliseum. But um, <laughs> okay, so it says this is great. It says attendance eight thousand three hundred forty. Yeah. Parentheses. 3,674 actual paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was an absolute bomb. I mean, so did that imagine- be announced or did they give away? They couldn't have possibly given away 15,000 tickets, right? They had to, they just lied about the attendance and then the actual number came out. It was like 3,000. They might have given away 5,000 tickets because <laughs> if I, if I, they said 18,000 were there. Oh, I think you said 8,000. No, it said oh. 18,000 were there and then no. 3,000 paid. <laughs> no, no, there were not 18,000. Like, there may have been like, 5,000 or 8,000, maybe. It's hard to tell because the LA Coliseum is fucking, it seats 120,000 people. Right. They were all, you couldn't really get a feel for it. All you, all you knew was there was not a lot of people there. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, they haven't run the LA Coliseum many other times after that. So, no, they never ran America again, I don't think. You know, but, um, there was K1 Dynamite, I think. But, uh, but anyway, Chong Man Hoy, he did, uh, show up for this fight against Ryu Saito and Stalker Ichikawa. And this is funny. I mean, Ryu Saito went to put on that STF move that he does, and all the Dragon Gate nerds are getting mad at me because he calls it the cycling fucking gimmick or whatever. Um, <laughs> he calls it the unicycle or something. I don't know. But uh, but it, it was funny because he's got the legs, but he can't reach the guy's head. You know what I mean? Because he's so long. Right. Then he goes to the arms, and he can't get to the legs. And he's just like, I don't know what to do with Stalker's. Like, I don't know. And he tries to you know bring his legs towards him. Like, this stuff's awesome. Like, that stuff is great. Or there was another spot earlier where, where they realize, like, Stalker walks up to him, and he goes up to his, like, belly button or whatever. And he's like, hmm, that's not going to work. So then he gets on Saito's uh, uh, shoulders, and he's like, okay, there we go. And they're still, like, nowhere near as tall as this. And yeah. Troy or whatever, but, so, but they're like, all right, well, this is the best we're going to do is get at least this close. And Troy just like, you know, throws him off or shrugs him away or whatever. But Stalker is, is so hilarious. He is far and away the funniest wrestler I, I've ever seen because I'm, I'm actually laughing when I watch him. And that, that's rare for comedy wrestlers that that happens for me. Yeah. So um, this was an entertaining diversion. I'll say this, too, about Dragon Gate. OK, they'll give you their Stalker match either as the opener the pre-show match or never higher than like the third match out. Right. Exactly. And it's fine. And it's over in five minutes to it. Never it's over in five minutes. Yeah. And they don't, they don't, they never do it in anything meaningful and they never muck up the top of the card with it. And that's where I run into, that's where I have a hard time with DDT because you could be watching a DDT show and it's not reserved for the early part of the card because it's an important part of the promotion. So they'll do it in the fucking semi-main event. I, I can't, they'll do it in the main event. With Dino or something, I just I can't do it. I, I, that's not what I like in my wrestling. I, you know, I, I I like to suspend my disbelief and pretend these people don't like each other and are fighting. And uh, that's where DDT gets in trouble for me. And that's where with Dragon Gate you get one match and it's very early in the card, and they don't pretend it's anything important. But anyway, um, then when we have oh the two openers, so we can do these very quickly. I'll yeah, lump yeah. them together. The 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 first match was Drastic Boy. Who l- listen? Give that guy credit. He like. Paid his own way years ago to come work Dragon Gate. Now they keep booking him for a couple tours a year. Uh, Kness, Mandai Ryu, and uh, Sachihoko Machine, who did not shit any gold nuggets on this show, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, Super Cisha, uh, they defeated uh, uh, Dragon Dio, Jason Lee, Jimmy, not one of the former Jimmy's Rich, but the luchador Jimmy, uh, Kasuke Okada, Okuda, 
And uh, Kenichiro Arai, the deep drunker, returns in his janitor jumpsuit to work the uh, 20th anniversary. And then the second match was Hyo Watanabe, that is Mike Spears' uh, leopard son. Uh, Kota Minora and Yuki Yoshioka, they defeated BB Hulk, Kajitora, and Yusuke Santa Maria. Kajitora and Maria coming back from the All Japan Tour to work this show. And uh, Genki Horiguchi punched Tamanaga and Yashi in a three-way six-man. Mm-hmm. This is like I, the, the return match of BB Hulk, too, because he's been out for, for yes. a while as well. So. Yeah, it didn't look great physically. I think he's kind of shot. Yeah, he but, should really uh, just probably not wrestle anymore like if his body is really as broken down as it is then and maybe this is the level that he comes in he just comes in and does these things or whatever but even this looks kind of painful for him at times too so maybe maybe it might be time to just call it a call it a career unfortunately so these two matches um look this is where they just cram everybody onto the card i loved these two ma- I think- they were great o- okuda needs to win the title like tomorrow from ben k that that's my new thing is is okuda's the greatest i fucking love that guy so much a lot of potential there. Just like a shooter, he's got the shooter yeah. gear on. He, he, like, especially in Dragon Gate, where he, he like looks around and you can tell he's just like, "What the it, fuck is going on around here?" He, there's potential in it because he's so different. Is yeah, like yeah. So, um, and obviously he's never going to move up the card. You know, no, no, I'm, I'm joking, of course, but yeah, um, maybe. But yeah, look, this is like this is these are the kind of high energy. Forget about psychology. Run through your spots confuse poor rich bokini that's the kind of matches these were and they're perfect little openers for this kind of show so zero complaints to me i'd go three stars three and a quarter on these easy because uh, they're entertaining easy to digest matches and they were a lot of fun so that was dragon gate kobe world which i think is a easy contender for uh, show of the year um, I'd have to put more thought into it. But top to bottom, there wasn't a single match that I didn't enjoy on some level. And I don't think anything on the show was bad. And I think at least four or five matches were legitimately very good to great. I mean, what more can you ask for in a wrestling show? No, I mean, it, 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 like, yeah, you're saying those two openers, which are just cram everybody on. I enjoyed both of those. They were both over in you know, five or ten minutes or whatever tops. The comedy match ruled. Casey Shoot Skywalker, I freaking almost went five stars with. Uh, the triangle gate match, by my least favorite match of the night. Three stars, still enjoyed the gimmick. And then you got Sumo and Flamita, awesome. <laughs> you got the six-man tag, multiple dragon, awesome. You got the twin gate, good. Maybe not as great as some other people thought. And then the dream gate match, which was... So yeah, this is like... This is great. What a great... Five hours, Joe. When you can have a five-hour show and the worst thing on there is a match that I went, what, three stars with? That's a hell of a fucking show. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So uh, that was Dragon Gate getting uh, the respect they deserve. Yeah, almost two time. hours here to start off the show. Good for them. So very quickly, before we move on to uh, AEW and some other um, American television topics, I wanted to just squeeze this in. This weekend, All Japan is running back-to-back shows in the uh, Body Maker 2 in Osaka, Rich. Remember last year, they call those the... Uh, Edeon now, but yeah, Edeon, yeah, no longer the body maker, unfortunately. Yeah. Edeon, it, or it's still Edeon. the body maker in this world. Okay, they're the body maker to me. They'll always be the body maker. But anyway, remember last year they ran the one show in the big body maker building where Zeus beat Miyahara for the for the triple crown. They're coming right back with the same match, but what they're doing this year is they're running two shows on the twenty seventh and twenty eighth in the smaller building. So two shows in the smaller building instead of one show, which was had disappointing attendance last year in the bigger building. They're in the middle of that tour now that is also doubling as the Junior Tag Battle of Glory Tour, which I am covering, patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. I'm covering it with daily audio updates, $5 tier if you want to listen to that. 
uh, doing that and the G1 on a night in night out basis. But this weekend are the two big shows as we roll into Osaka. Of course, the one on the 28th is headlined by the Triple Crown defense, Kento Miyahara versus Zeus. I don't expect Zeus to win it this time around. Rich, would you uh, disagree with that or agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would, I would. I would definitely. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this is the time. That didn't work out very well last year, anyway. I mean, so you know, the mat, the, the, the Zeus title win didn't draw particularly well, and and the return match uh, didn't exactly, you know. So that that whole program, which which they thought would do big business, did not. Um, so no, I don't think they're going to go back to Zeus. I'll tell you though, they've been doing good work in the tags. I'm watching all of them. They've pinned each other now once each in the lead up. But um, as far as the junior tag battle of glory and uh, how this works into Dragon Gate, Kajitora and Yasuke Santa Maria are a team and they're working that tour. The results of the show on the 25th, I cannot find them anywhere yet. But through the 24th, Kajitora and Maria were in fourth place. They're 1-1-1 one, one, and one with three points. So they're still right in the mix. Uh, the two top teams, it's a six-team tournament, one block. Two top teams are Murayama and Black Menso Ray. They're 2-0-1 oh, with five points. And Hikaru Sato and uh, Yusuke Osada, who I think are going to win the tournament because, you know, the whole thing with Atsushi Aoki and Okada replacing him in the team. And I, I just think they're going to win the tournament. They're in second place right now, two and one with four points. Um, I don't know what happened on the 25th, though, because I can't find the results. Now, the show, the first show in, in Osaka, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I wanted to run through it. We have the final three matches of the Tag Battle of Glory, which will determine the two teams that move on to the final, which is the next night on the show with Zeus versus Miyahara. Those are the only two matches announced for the second night. But the first night in Osaka, which is this Saturday, has the final three matches of the tournament. But there's also some good stuff there. Jake Lee and Nomura challenge the Violent Giants for the tag team titles. And I think you need to do the switch there. I love the idea of Lee and Nomura as a tag team. Um, I love the idea of them having a tag team title run to continue helping to get those two guys over. Rich, do you think Lee and Nomura will beat Ishikawa? Oh, hmm. Well, you, you've been kind of—I don't know—I've been watching them, unfortunately. But uh, what, what's your kind of vibe on it? Do, do you lean I, that way? Like, they, it's got to be weird. Like, I don't know. Can they? Are they going to keep everything kind of status quo on this, or are, are things going to get moved around a little bit? I don't know. Nomura on this tour has clearly been the standout because they've been working six-man tags, right. lead Nomura and then various partner or whatever. Nomura is the one that's standing out, and that's kind of what happened in the carnival, if you remember. Um, there's something about Jake Lee. He just disappears in these tags, and he just doesn't stand out. Nomura does. Nomura, he wrestles with more fire. Um, I think they should win this match, though. There's no reason they shouldn't win these tag team titles. What would be the point of beating them? You know what I mean? It's like right, right. they're doing this new thing with them as a team and trying to get them over as a team. And then eventually, hopefully they both break out and they need stuff. to, and they need to break out. So yeah, it, it makes all the sense in the world to have them. I mean, th- there's no point in having them lose. Cause then it's like, all right, well now, now what, <laughs> you know, what do you, what do you do with these two guys that clearly need to be on the trajectory to become big stars in this company for it to, you know, survive and, and, and continue to go as it's going. So yeah, it makes sense that you would do that, but you never know. Sometimes they can surprise you with those, but that seems like almost a no-brainer, so we'll see. Yeah, there's a couple other matches of note on this first Osaka show, too. Yoshitatsu defends the Geora TV title against Toru. Toru won a absolute geek battle royal on the first night of the tour in Cork and Rich. You need to go on All Japan TV and watch <laughs> the battle royal. It is the worst thing you'll ever see. It makes the AEW battle royal look like it was... Oh, no. it, I'm telling you, this battle royal makes that battle royal look like 31 Hall of Famers. It was so bad with guys that were so, like, 
you well, who could, were these guys? Like, who did they get? I don't know. They were like, <laughs> it was loaded with guys that don't even have cage match profiles. Like the lowest of the low. You could have taken them out of the crowd. I wouldn't have known the difference. This was so no, bad. No there, was like, there was a guy in a pig costume. Like he had the pig snout and pig ears. There was a guy that was like painted red. There were just the shindiest of the shindiest men. Survival Tobita was in this match. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like the only guy I heard of. And I told you Toru won, not Taru. <laughs> heard of Taru, right? This is the freedoms. This is fr- of, of freedoms and Dove Pro and uh... Taru. Yeah, the to- Tokyo Gurantai sleazy guy, all <laughs> Japan many years ago. He was like the standout of this match, is what you're telling me. No, it wasn't him, is what I'm saying. This was a man named Toru who wasn't Taru. Oh, it's not and, that guy. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't even that. That's what I'm saying. It wasn't even that guy. Like, at least he's a well-known pro. Some man named Toru, T-O-R-U, won it and won the battle royale, and he's challenging Yoshitatsu. This whole thing. I'm looking at the names here. Uh, you got Agu, Big Bear, <laughs> Chunichi Hanawa, yeah. Psycho, all caps. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know who. <laughs> I don't know who any of these guys are. Agu. A-G-U, Agu. Agu. I can't figure out who the pig was. There's no pig name. Chango? Chango? I don't know. No, no, I know Chango. Chango is a... uh, He's a Toriumon system guy who um, has had a million different gimmicks. He was one of the few that I knew. I hadn't seen him wrestle in years, but, you know, at least I knew who Chango was. I knew Chango. I knew Survival Tobita. And there might have been, like, one other guy. God, I I need a shower after just looking at this. Yeah. What the fuck? And Yoshitatsu... He uh, watched it from the crowd. Believe me, there were plenty of seats available. <laughs> <laughs> you know, go behind the, the, the railing. He could have just. Uh, uh, there were plenty of seats available in Corkin for this one. Uh, All Japan's not doing so hot, but uh, yeah, he he sat up there and watched this awful battle royal. So he defends against that guy. And bodyguard returns to All Japan on this show, teaming with Zeus and the Six Man against Kento Miyahara and Aoyagi and whoever they're teaming with. I can't remember. But uh, that's the first uh, Osaka show. And then the next night is Miyahara and Zeus. I think we all agree that Miyahara will probably retain there. And then we'll see who makes it to the finals of this uh, junior tag battle of glory. I Listen, I think Hikaru Sato and um, Isuke Okada are the way to go. They just Suke Okada, Rich. This guy's some, they've got something with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've liked everything I've seen from him. Oh, this tour, it's just he's just jumping off the fucking screen. I mean, he's just snarling at the young boys when he comes to the ring and he's like doing the thing where he's like wants nothing to do with the fans and he's like giving dirty looks to the fans. He's just, and his ring work, he's just nasty and aggressive and he feels to me like he's the spiritual successor to Atsushi Aoki. He wears the same colors. They were in the same unit. He even kind of looks like him. It's, it's kind of eerie. And, um, you know, he's teaming with his partner now in this tournament, and I think they're going to win it. And that guy, I don't know if he's going to be a star, but he's going to be a top-tier worker. I know that for sure. So um, if you're looking for a guy to follow and, and get in on the ground floor on in a company you know, like All Japan, it's definitely Yusuke Okada. But anyway, I wanted to quickly just talk about the All Japan tour. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll have reviews on the website as well. I know uh, Gerard and Paul are going to both do reviews for us. So we'll have, uh, we'll have both those shows covered at VoicesWrestling.com. So if you want to follow along, now you've gotten a little mini preview there if you want to follow along 
uh, reviews up at voicesofwrestling.com as well. Okay, so we got plenty to get to here in the next uh, hour or so of the show. Uh, we got AEW's G1 Climax, WBQ2. I-, I should mention, maybe we'll get the WBQ2 kind of out of the way now. Um, we're just going to do basic talk about that because uh, Russell Nomics is coming up in the next few days. That's Brandon Howard Thurston who's going to do it much better than we will. He actually has like good thoughts and like knows business stuff, whereas you and I just like the riff on shit that happens during these conference calls. But if you actually want to know about the business and know what's going on and and and, and all that sort of stuff, Brandon's going to have that for you. I know he had a he had a great ebook that he released this week as well. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, uh, Brandon Thurston, you'll find it. Um, as well, we have it retweeted up, or you can just follow the WrestleNomics uh, on Twitter as well. You'll be able to download it for free or you know, give a donation if you want to kind of get up to speed on what all these numbers mean and what everything matters and all that sort of stuff. Because it seems more and more people get interested in these WQ2s, especially given what are the, the quarterly calls, given what WWE's kind of gone through a little bit. But uh, I think this will be an interesting thing to touch on. I guess we can kind of combine these two things as well. Because the thing that we're going to talk about most of this Q2 is Vince McMahon uh, and his sort of allusions directly towards AEW. Uh, and AEW, of course, this week announced it's official, as we kind of knew and, and sort of suspected. AEW TV will be on Wednesdays uh, on TNT. Uh, it's going to be 8 to 10 Eastern time, so right in prime time on Wednesdays on TNT. So that's all we can really tell you about that. Everything Elite will have a little coverage on that as well if you want to listen to another podcast that kind of breaks that down. You and I, I mean, what else do we say? It's on Wednesdays, and that's the time. Like, you know, <laughs> like that's 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 kind of the one thing. I guess the one thing I do want to touch on, and, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts before we get to you know, WWE and Vince McMahon, um, running the Capital One Arena, running the big arena in Washington, the, the basketball arena, that's where the Wizards play, the hockey arena, that's where the Capitals play, running that arena for the Georgetown opening show. Hoyas. The Georgetown Hoyas. Hoyas. Oh, there you go. So I don't uh, I watch my Big East basketball nearly enough. But um, thoughts on that being the opening arena, and does that sort of set up – because they're not they, – they can't possibly run – these types of arenas every single week. There's no way in hell, right? Wasn't that the Verizon Center? It was. It is the same yeah. thing. It was the Verizon it, Center. I think at one it, point it was. It had another name too. I forget which Cap one it was. Center. Before it was the Capital One Arena. It was the Cap. I don't, that might have been a different building, but yeah, it was the Verizon Center because, uh, as the Hoya fans were calling it, Rich, the phone booth. Um. Anyway, nobody cares. Uh, <laughs> no. No Verizon phone booth. Get it? Get I got you. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're more uh, of a cell phone company, but uh, you know. That's fine. Carry on. Okay. Mr. Pedantic over here. Just- I, you, guys, you guys are bored? Or like, well, there's not enough going on in Georgetown basketball? You got to come up with terrible... Not, not in the last five years. <laughs> I was going to say, unfortunately. Not in the last Unfortunately, five years. yeah. Well, Big John Pat- Thompson, he's working for the uh, the Wizards now. He didn't have to go far to get a new job, so... That's right. Big Pat's going to turn things around, though. We're well on our way. <laughs> Matt McClung, human highlight reel. Anyway. Um... What was I, saying? I don't know who that Matt, is, but that guy cannot be a human highlight reel. Who Matt McClung? Who, Matt McClung? No, he really is. But here's the problem: Matt McClung is a human highlight reel. He's just not a very good basketball player. Like, <laughs> he's he's he was. So this uh, guy is clearly a white fella, right? Yeah, that's the thing. He's like a five foot ten white guy who does like windmill dunks. Ooh, so okay, okay. He okay. has a he had a big YouTube following and shit in high school. Right, he's one of those dudes. Yeah, but that means he sucks at basketball, right? Well, <laughs> like, he was only he was a th- he was only a three star recruit. So it's like he's a human highlight reel, but he, he needs to be refined. You know okay. what I mean? Got so it, it's got like, it, got it. All right. Well, I know what I'm doing the second uh, this podcast is done is watching the highlights. Oh, you, you'll be impressed with Matt McClung because it doesn't he does he does things right, he I'm doing it now. <laughs> like, like it doesn't look like he should be able to do the things that he does physically, right? Okay, I got it muted. Yeah, he looks like me when I was eighteen, which is <laughs> I, I was not able uh, to be do a little haircut. Things. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just a dumb he he's kinda like chubby too. Yes. He's like a dumb haircut, chubby white kid, <laughs> and and you're telling me this kid is gonna let's. Oh shit! Okay, 
All right. I see. I told oh, you. Oh, all right. A human oh. highlight reel. He just took an alley-oop, like, from the rim. Dude has ups. He can jump. He's How not did he tall. get this? Holy shit. Nice. All right, yeah. all right. I'm in. <laughs> Unfortunately, none of these highlights are him making a three-pointer. <laughs> yeah, <pass>. yeah. <laughs> but... And he missed... He was he was a freshman this year and and he missed like his first eighteen three point attempts. <laughs> yeah. But by the end of the year, like he turned it around. You know, he he had a nice little year. Oh, there was, you go. Uh, I'm in. You know, all, all freshman team, Big East or whatever. But yeah, he, you know, holy shit. Harder. Yeah, this kid's awesome. All right, now I'm done. All right, I'll click out of there. <laughs> there you go. Hey, what were we talking about? The building, right? The uh, oh, the building. Yeah, the Capital One Center Arena, whatever. That's a giant basketball arena. They're gonna have a problem filling it. I mean, it's their first TV, so maybe that'll help. Maybe you get some fly-ins because it's a special night. But you can't run basketball arenas for their team. Now, to be fair, I think it was Matt Jackson who said they're aiming for five to 10,000-seat venues for the mm-hmm. team. Um, and maybe they think for the first one they could fill it up. They're going to obviously give it a ton of publicity. So I think it'll be a respectable crowd. And, of course, they'll have, you know, like usual, 30% of it curtained off for the stage and all that. So what are you looking at? They probably still need to put about twelve to 15,000 people in it to fill it. So yeah, let me see if we got a. Let me see if there's actual because I know some places will have like the the, the total attendance for um, be at least an eighteen thousand seat. Yeah, venue. I wonder because some of them will say like the configuration for. So the basketball configuration is twenty thousand three hundred and fifty six. Uh, hockey is eighteen thousand is the configuration there. Let me see. Well, I'll, I'll look up what like a recent like WWE show did there. Kind of give us an idea. Yeah, that might not be great. <laughs> I'll do one from a few years ago. <laughs> Going to say like five thousand back in the day. <laughs> you know. People actually can... went to their shows, so yeah. But they can't. I mean, this is unsustainable to do this every single week, and I think that, which which I think everybody will sort of be fine with, is like, yeah, okay, the one week opening week, which I think is still gonna be tough. It's the middle of the week. It's a Wednesday. It's not on any sort of holiday or whatever. Like they've they've been smart about making them on weekends around holidays. You know, in Chicago, it's around Labor Day. It's around you know, it's always kind of trying to do those sort of things. This is smack dab in the middle of the week. October second uh, is the day on a Wednesday. It's going to be tricky. You're going to be grabbing a lot of people that live in Washington. Like you really have to hope that that's a big market for AEW. Um, you know, I, I think it's an ambitious idea, but yeah, this for anybody that, that that sees that announcement and thinks, "Oh man, like they're going to run these arenas," they're not. They're going to have to go to you know your your, your five thousand seat places from here on out because there's it's completely unrealistic that they. I mean, hell, WWE is having trouble doing it. That they can go to major basketball arenas across the country and sell out weekly TV or get even. You know, a modicum of decent crowds every single week. That's just no, completely just understandable for, for AEW to do it. Yeah, you just said it. WWE can't do it. So Raw is not even doing it these days. So, yeah, this as a one-time thing, I think they'll do okay. And they'll probably set it up for like 10, 12,000. You know, if you get at least 8,000 in there, it's, it's, it looks good. And you can work with that. But um, the, the one thing about... You know, the two hours, I mean, that surprised me a little. Uh, you know, I thought I was – maybe I was more hopeful that they'd go 90 minutes. Yeah, I think that they should. I, I think that's going to be a mistake um, to go the two hours. A, that could be a network thing. And then the other thing is they got a really good – we talked about their deal a couple months ago. But with that ad split, which was uh, very advantageous for them, maybe they wanted that extra half hour for the extra half hour ads. You know, you got to look at it that way too. Um you know, from a show quality perspective, I think 90 minutes would have been better. But, you know, you're trying to make as much money as you can. And the networks really don't like a 90-minute show. They like a nice, clean hour or two-hour block so they can set up the rest of their night and all those sorts of things. So I get it. Um, the other thing, Wednesday night, that surprised no one. 
Um, what it does do, though, is kind of put a wrench in WWE's plans to counter-program with NXT. I talked about this a little bit behind the paywall, but I'll bring it up with you so we can talk about it. Um, the idea was put NXT on FS1, right? right. The, the counterpunch from WWE is going to be, okay, what do we have on Wednesdays? We have NXT. What do we do now to sort of counteract AEW, which is is traditional Vince McMahon sort of response to anything like this. Is okay, well, they, they brought their punch. Well, here's ours now. Here's our counterpunch. But maybe not. But, and this comes full circle with Matt McClung because Matt McClung is going to be on FS1 from November to March every year because Fox has a huge television contract with the Big East for Big East basketball from November to March every year. And those uh, games air on FS1 on Wednesday nights. So you're asking Fox to bump the Big East basketball games from FS1 on Wednesday nights for NXT, which who knows how that's going to draw. And, you know, they pay a lot of money for Big East basketball. Right. That's a big deal in a lot of regions, too. So and, and they're paying a lot of money for WWE, too. I get it. But you're asking to make another. This wasn't part of the original deal. And you're, you don't want to piss. Off. Now, here's the other thing, too. You know, Fox and FS1, you know, they stay. You know, that was a big deal at the time within the sports uh, television industry. When they secured that Big East television contract from, from ESPN, the Big East had been on ESPN from the day the league formed in 1979, okay? and, and It helped grow ESPN and it helped grow that league. Like, they, yes. they grew in sync with each other. Exactly. And, and you know, it, it, the Big East meant a lot to ESPN. So when the Big East jumped to Fox, that was a big deal. And it's sort of – it's one of Fox's top sports properties, Big East basketball, because they're still trying to get their footing and they're a million miles behind ESPN at this point, FS1. And Big East basketball is one of their top properties, they don't have a lot going on on, on you know, on FS1. So it's asking a lot of them to bump that off of Wednesday nights. Even if you think NXT is going to do a better number than, you know, Providence versus Villanova in the middle of December, okay, it may not draw the same ad revenues because of all the problems that wrestling brings to the table in terms of the demographics of the viewers and the problems that wrestling has faced historically for decades and that wrestling has to do like double the number to draw the same ad rates as something like basketball, which is going to draw better ad rates, even if they do less viewers. So there's a ton of hurdles here to get over if they want to get NXT on FS1. Right. And, and there is, I, I think FS2 was a thing, but is that even on like everyone's like, do I, I don't know if I get FS2. I'll be Here's honest. the problem with FS2. Clearance, like you're talking about, because it's like in half the homes that FS1 is in. Right. I, I'd have to honestly see if I get it. I, I don't know. I've never clicked on it. I, I, I That I know of. Maybe I have, but. And here's the problem too. So WWE is not going to want to be on FS2 because then AEW is going to beat them or potentially right. beat them. They want to be on FS1. And here's the other thing. You can't bump the basketball game to FS2 because there already is a basketball. They run games on FS1 and FS2 on Wednesday nights. So you get your primetime number one Big East game on FS1, and they'll either be like a le- – you, you know, you'll have DePaul on FS2 or a lesser Big East game or a game from another conference or something. So it's like, again, you can't just bump it down. That's not going to work. And the Big East isn't going to be happy about that. What's the Big East going to say when you tell them, listen – you know, these, uh, you know, the Villanova fucking Marquette game that, you know, you want everybody to see. We're moving that to FS2 because we're putting wrestling on instead. Right. We're going to annoy the Big East. They're going to go back to ESPN at the end of the contract. So that's highly unlikely, which is why I think where they talked about today at the, uh, you know, the, 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 um, 
the investor call where they talked about the changes coming to the network, they mentioned a free tier. They, they did, yeah. Free tier and a pay tier and then potentially like a premium pay tier, but they a didn't VIP give any tier, yeah. I think the free tier is going to include NXT, NXT UK, and 205 Live. 100%. I think 100% agree with you. Yeah, the second I, I saw that free tier, I was like, well, there you go. There's your answer. It, yeah. NXT is now free for anybody. Go on to WWE Network or WWE.com or whatever the hell system they're going to do to go on that free tier, and that's where we're going to be able to watch that. The counteract is, okay, we're not going to be getting – FS1's not going to drop all the shit that they're doing to run NXT. Well, that's fine. We'll allow everybody to watch it for free without having to pay. Yeah. Now you don't need to find a network to carry NXT because you have your own. And – you know, it's not a television network, so it's not ideal. But now you have NXT, and you can run a whole block that night. You can run 205 Live, NXT, maybe even two hours of NXT, or, you know, and, and NXT UK afterwards, whatever. And you could put three, four, five hours of content head to head with AEW, get ahead of them by an hour, and wrap up an hour after, and just fucking try to own the night and keep people away from it. Because I don't think Fox is going to put NXT on FS1 on Wednesday nights. I think the basketball is a big barrier. And I don't think – I'm sure they put it on FS2. Fox, I'm sure, would put it on FS2, but I don't right, think – Right, but WWE should probably not agree to that. If I was WWE, if you had two options, if they said, okay, we can put you on FS2 or you can put it on WWE Network for free. If you're WWE, would you choose the network instead? Yeah, I do the network because it – it gets people to sign up since it's something for free, and then potentially you could turn them into paying customers. Right. And quite honestly, I think the clearance might be better. I mean, right. No, the FS2 thing is like, that's kind of like a. I, the, the word escape, but that's more of like a concession thing. Like, I wouldn't be happy saying, yeah, you can watch NXT this Wednesday on FS2. <laughs> you know, like FS1 is fine. I think that despite the fact that FS1, like you said, does not have a ton of programming right now, there's at least a semi cachet to it you know what i mean fs1 well, it's in-house. it has enough and you probably get it right i know that i get fs1 you know you get fs1 everybody listening to this knows they get fs1 for one reason or another fox is obviously the big deal fox being on the broadcast network that's not happening that's completely unrealistic that would go on there but fs1 has enough cachet where it's like okay cool this isn't fox but it's the main fox sports network that's fine okay that's cool fs2 now it's like eh, you're getting into like like i wouldn't want to be on espn2 you know i wouldn't want to promote hey our big show is on espn2 you know it just kind of has this this sort of cachet that you're on the second sports network so if i'm going to be the optics of it makes a lot more sense to just say you know what we'll just say it's free on the network and watch it then and then we'll just do all we can to promote the fuck out of it probably move it up a little bit have a little bit more you know promotion on raw and and, and smackdown really try to drive people towards that free tier of the network i think that's way more beneficial for, for WWE versus being on this the shit level you know channel that people may or may not get like i might get i don't know <laughs> you know like they don't want that they don't want people searching around trying to find this thing because that that does no benefit to them well here's what you do too for this free tier live stream only you want the archive, you got to pay the $9.99. This way, if you want to watch NXT for free, sure. you have to be there when it's on. Again, that keeps people away from AEW. You see? So maybe you just do live stream only and you do that for because that live stream is always running, just nobody ever watches it except when there's a pay-per-view on. So maybe that is the the free tier. So we have to see. But I suspect it's going to be something in that direction. Um, but, you know, and then they're like, well, over the next year, we're going to make these changes on. What the fuck are they doing? Yeah, let's like, get going, guys. Like, let's fucking how long go. Does it like, take to make these. I don't understand why it takes that long to implement what they're going to do unless they don't know what they're going to do. See, that was suspicious to me. Mm-hmm. 
why is this going to take over a year to make these changes to the tiers and all this and that? I mean, that tells me that they just don't have a plan yet. And the plan hasn't come together and this buys them time. And they were like, oh, well, we'll just, we have to tell the investors something because we're reporting a second straight quarter of negative network growth. And people who are investing money are going to want answers as to how we're going to grow the network. So we need to throw something out there. So, you know, but since we don't have a plan, we have to give ourselves a, a, a timeline. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Just tell them a year because we don't know what the fuck we're doing. That's how that comes off to me. As someone who's been in the room when these kind of discussions take place, it just it, it it just set off a fucking red flags and bells went off. I just like that is bullshit. They don't need a year to implement whatever they're going to do if they knew what they were doing. They could do it in fucking six weeks. So I don't, I'm not even sure they know what's going on mm-hmm. when it comes to what they're going to do with the network. Um, all right, so some other stuff that I think we need to touch on as well in terms of the, the WQ2. So we mentioned that, yeah, the, the, the different tiers uh, of the network, uh, the idea of maybe putting uh, independent promotions on there. It's kind of been bandied about and rumored about that, you know, progress and evolve and that sort of stuff. But we'll talk about that. I think we'll talk about that when it's a little bit more concrete than other than just kind of other, you know, random stuff there. But I think the real, <laughs> the highlight, I should say, that a lot of people brought up is uh, at one point, Vince McMahon was asked, uh, about you know what are you guys going to do to combat some of the issues that you've had in terms of uh, you know rating declines and all that sort of stuff and he mentioned you know of course Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff coming in which we suspected that would be uh, part of it but then he also mentioned as well that we're going to get a little edgier but we're not going to go back to the attitude area uh, era and we're not going to go blood and guts like our competition our so called competition I forget the exact wording uh, that he said but uh, essentially blood and guts was something that got brought up uh, quite a few times and he mentioned a little bit more of. Um, you know, we're gory not gonna do, stuff. Yeah, we're not going to do gory stuff or gory crap like we used to. Gory crap is Yeah, that's said. not coming back, but uh, our, our competition is currently doing that. Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. The exact quotes, you know, you can find uh, elsewhere, I'm sure, uh, uh, on this week's WrestleNomics Radio. Uh, he always brings that stuff back, Brandon, uh, the quotes from the actual investor call, so you get the exact quote. But essentially, Vince McMahon mentions AEW by name, or not, not necessarily AEW, but calls them competition, and mentions yeah. blood and guts and says, we're not going to do that, we're not going to do blood and guts, and we're not going to do that gory, uh, gory crap like we used to. So uh, what do you make of that? That's a pretty interesting quote. And the first, uh, I don't know, the first shot across the bow from, uh, from WB so far for AEW, the first obvious one from Vince McMahon, at least there's been a little innuendo stuff on, on Raw and SmackDown, but this is the first that felt big. <laughs> well, the fact that he's bringing them up acknowledges that he knows that they're legitimate competition. Otherwise he wouldn't bring them up. Never brought up impact or TNA, never brought up MLW ring of honor. Never. Because they weren't legitimate competition, right? I think at one point he called TNA Tadri something or another when they had some blood or whatever. But it was it was very it was in passing, uh, all it was. And then Dixie Carter said, "Oh, thank you for calling us this." I don't think she knew what the word was, so it wasn't good. But anyway, this is an acknowledgement that there's another billionaire in the game and that they kind of have their shit together and that they take they're taking it seriously on some level. So that's number one. The other thing is is very obvious in his use of language, and Vince loves to do this. He loves to create his own little narrative, like it was billionaire Ted picking on poor little me. Right, right. not not me versus Eric Bischoff. It was billionaire Ted, <laughs> multi conglomerate billionaire. Himself, yeah, he had to right. make himself an underdog. So it's just a poor yeah, mom and pop business, and he's a conglomerate. That yes, that's sound, yeah. so billionaire Ted was the thing that he pounded into everybody's brains that people still talk about today. It's very obvious that when he talks to his inner circle based on the language he used today, that the thing that he is going to harp on is that it's blood and guts. It's gross crap. You know, it's like because of one chair shot, 
which wasn't intended to have blood involved with it to begin with. They got accidental blood on that. So based on that one chair shot, this is the narrative that Vince McMahon has built for himself. We're battling a, a wrestling company that's bringing back gory fucking blood and guts wrestling, which obviously isn't the case. They did one chair shot angle that went awry. And, you know, people are bringing up the, the Janela Moxley match, which was just like a standard issue fucking hardcore match. WWE just did a pay-per-view called Extreme Rules. <laughs> right, where way more stuff happened. It was the same thing as that little Moxley Janela match. Right. So, I mean, they got no ground to stand on other than one chair shot. And then the and, Dustin and the Dustin Cody match. And the Dustin blood, yeah. And it's like, and that's, you know, that one was, that was intentional blood. That's the one time they did it on purpose. You get accidental blood in WWE, okay? But it's like you also sometimes get uh, a guy opening a guy up hard way uh, via his elbows. But that's yeah. that's sophisticated. <laughs> yeah, sophisticated. Yeah, that's a sophisticated way to, to we'll sophisticated break somebody open is have you know a fucking bear <laughs> elbow a guy in his eyebrow until he bleeds. You know, sophistication. Yeah. We do a sophisticated product where, you know, we have people piss themselves and we have, uh, you know, comedy, quote unquote, where guys are shaving each other's backs and we're you know, heavily implying that they're homosexual. And for some reason, that's funny. And, and you know, because our program is sophisticated. Mm-hmm. We have all of our geeks running around in the back competing for a 24-7 title because that's sophisticated. Yeah, a dude trying to bone his wife, but uh, he keeps getting distracted by the 24-7. Yeah, yeah, a guy who doesn't want to fuck his hot wife because <laughs> right. he's preoccupied with a meaningless t- comedy title. That's sophisticated entertainment. You know, we have another guy whose wife implied that someone else impregnated her. Because <laughs> right. she can't get Mike Canellis is being cucked, but that's sophisticated. Yeah, yeah Mike Canellis, they have a, a, an entire feud in this company based around two guys who will not fuck their wives. And that's the basis of the They're thing. hot wives, yeah. <laughs> These yeah. idiots won't fuck their hot wives. They're that's extremely what hot wives who they cannot satisfy or have any use for uh, in the bed. Yeah, but this is a sophisticated company. So yeah, Vince McMahon is a fucking – it's the same old shit from him. But this is the narrative that he's building clearly among his people. And now it's the narrative since he brought it up on the financial call that he's going to try to build with the mm-hmm. major. That these guys are, are – it's just – it's classless wrestling. Yeah, it's crass. Yeah, it's crass Southern wrestling. I'm sure wrestling is going to come up at some point. We already started our mentions, so it's obviously it's boiling already between yes. uh, the WWE, uh, <laughs> you know, the new WWE lunatic fringe is is wrestling. I, we saw that a bunch of times in our mentions. So it's like get, get used to that again. That Southern wrestling is back. We're we're in the sports entertainment business. They're in the wrestling business. Yes, when in reality. AEW is far more progressive than WWE is so far to the point that I feel it's a negative. I think they're too overly woke and and performatively woke. And I think it's already bit them in the ass a couple of times and it will bite them in the ass as we move forward. That's the reality of the situation. But Vince is already – he has to craft his narrative. And last time it was billionaire Ted and this time it's the – it's the classless Southern wrestling that he's going up against, uh, which is setting us back. And, you know, so it, that, that's what that was. And it's interesting. And I think it's going to trickle down. And I think you're going to hear uh, some of his talent refer to them the same way. And uh, because, you know, the Vince speak always trickles down. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's what I think that was. But the, the, the more enlightening thing to me was, whoa, he really is taking them seriously. Yeah, which is, is cool. Like, everybody should want that. It's awesome. Yes. <laughs> like, fucking great. Yeah. 
I'm Any- so glad that he's taking him seriously, and I know that AEW is going to take it seriously now too. Because if you don't think that they're going to lean into this in some way, shape, or form with a T-shirt or you know innuendos or whatever, they will. And this is great. Pro wrestling wars are the best. It's great for everybody. Everybody gets paid more, and the wrestling is a lot more fun. It's great. They should one million percent lean into the blood and guts. Oh, Janela's already in a DM box telling people what he will be willing to do. And anyone who's sitting there whining about that, eh, they got to stop talking about each other. Just focus on yourself. No, fuck you. <laughs> you're, you're a fucking nerd. This is great stuff, and it and it, and it helps everyone. You know, and it's like I like I that they're Joe. When, when we say and we say this all the time, not to interrupt you, but the, the, the it helps everybody. Thing we say it all the time. Look at the guys who have gotten deals already. Mike and Maria. By basically just alluding to the fact that they might let their contracts run out, got brand new shiny five-year deals. Jinder Mahal, Mojo Rally, a guy that I brought up as like a joke of like, hey, a guy like a Mojo Rally is going to benefit from this. Got a sweetheart deal, a brand five new year. deal, a five-year deal for Mojo freaking Rally. And he was the guy that I mentioned in passing as a joke of like, yeah, well, maybe even guys like Mojo Rally. I mentioned that six months ago. Got a great new deal. Randy Orton's out there trying to leverage himself into new deals. You don't think that the wrestlers love this? It's the best thing in the world for everybody. If you like pro wrestling, you want competition because everybody makes out better. The fans make out better because you have two companies to watch. You have both companies trying their goddamn hardest to make their company the best. And you have the wrestlers making shit tons more money because they're using the other company as leverage. Randy freaking Orton is using AW as leverage. And he is going to get the big. We know that he's not going to leave. Randy Orton is not going to leave WWE. He's not going anywhere. But he is going to get the best goddamn deal now. A way better deal than he would have gotten four years ago had AEW not existed. And it didn't stop. But here's the thing. He's out there building a match with Will Ospreay. (laughs) On Twitter to let everybody know that, you know, but he's not going anywhere. But, you know, it's like, but now he, but now if he does, he already set up a money match. Right. You know, and it's like. He's an old school pro wrestling guy for all the the Randy Orton stuff. He he gets it. He knows what he's doing. So, you know, they're all doing it. And and Jinder Mahal, who was useless to begin with, he got a five-year deal while he's out for a year with a knee injury. It's like they're signing people who are hurt, who weren't <laughs> even good to begin with, who are useful or good to begin with. So, yeah, everyone benefits, and I love the back-and-forth sniping. I love Cody using a sledgehammer on a fucking throne and the symbolism that brings. I love Vince McMahon being gotten to and talking uh, and just his vitriol coming out on the, on the call. Uh, I love this shit. It's fun. It's cool. It's, it's what we haven't had in wrestling for almost 20 years. And I can't believe there's people who are like annoyed or put off by it. Right. Everybody should just care about themselves and hug each other and, and no, do their own separate things. Fuck I want that. more of it. I want both shows going on the air talking shit about the other live on TV. That that is so fun, you know, and bring some energy. I want guys to jump and not tell anyone and keep it quiet and just show up on the other show and and you know, uh, shots fired in both directions. And how cool was Moxley showing up at Double or Nothing? I mean, it's, it's incredible. Just, yeah, I want awesome. that. I want that every other month, I, you know, on both sides, you know, and, and, and I, I, it's just people just, you know, the hardcore AEW fans and the hardcore WWE fans are both insufferable. Oh, this is going to be the worst, man. I think I'm deactivating all of October. <laughs> I, I don't think I can handle it. It's just so insufferable. The whining and the crying and, oh, it's okay when this side does it. But when this side does, no, I, I just think it's funny when both sides do it. It's hilarious. It's, yeah, I just is, keep asking people, why are you so mad? Like, who cares? Yeah, We're all having fun. That. It's fucking pro wrestling. Like, let's just have fucking fun. Enjoy it. You know, I, I don't understand. 
in a perfect world, ROH would fill the ECW role. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> ECW was doing it. I think GCW's did a good job of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, but it's like that's a good job. That's a good one, Joe. ROH, you know, doing something. You know, game changer versus ROH and who's higher on the pecking order would be a very interesting conversation. I cannot imagine that, Joe. Imagine a year and a half ago having that conversation. I know. One of them was on my Sinclair freaking broadcast, the the biggest broadcast conglomerate in this country, and the other one is GCW. (laughs) The other one's owned by Brett Lauderdale. (laughs) Yeah, Brett Lauderdale. It's Brett Lauderdale versus Sinclair Broadcasting. (laughs) Brett Lauderdale versus the largest media conglomerate in the United States of America. And and some guy from fucking Keyport, New Jersey is winning, or wherever the hell he's from. I just pick Keyport out of that. (laughs) I don't know even what Keyport is, but yeah. It's probably not far from Keyport. Um, But, but yeah, you know, it is pretty crazy. You know, and then, uh, you know, throw Court Bauer in the mix and his major league wrestling, which is it's been much improved, by the way. I don't even watch the TV. But uh, but yeah, this this shit is fun and people really should just learn to enjoy it instead of sitting there and worrying about, you know, complaining about what the other side's doing. It's like Kenny Omega mentioned uh, the counter programming at the end of the AEW show. And people were like, oh, what a big who cares? Why? Why does it upset <laughs> no. you? Why does it upset you? Why are you, you mad? <laughs> Stop being so mad. He's fucking he, – he was clearly gotten to that they programmed the Evolve show to the point where he felt the need to say, I want them all to be gotten to. It's more fun when they're gotten to. Yeah, we and benefit. People, we benefit from all these people being very angry about everything. Yes. So, so yeah, more of this, please. More of this. And this is why – I hope AEW is a raging success because it'll only get worse and it'll only get uglier. And by the way, it will only make WWE better. Yes. And we're seeing signs of that already. At least they're trying to make changes. You know, I still think Raw and SmackDown stink from what I've seen of them. Okay. But at least they're attempting to make changes. At least they're attempting to change things. Extreme Rules was a pretty decent show. And they haven't had good pay-per-views in a long time, and they had no one motivating them to get better. I'm not saying they will get better, but at least there's motivation to try. And maybe it will result in a better product, uh, which I think we would all be happy about. Yeah, for sure. Per, uh, per old Brett's uh, Facebook page, uh, and this appears to be his real Facebook page, uh, lives in Philadelphia from Rochester, New York. So uh, there you oh, go. Okay. Not one of your Buddy, Jersey slum lords. But he was a Jersey guy. No. I like him coming to Jersey to do business, though, because he knows where the fans are going <laughs> to That's true. He does. Yeah. That's... Jersey's been an epicenter of indie wrestling for a long time. That's though. what I'm saying. Where Jersey goes, a lot, a lot of the wrestling world goes. So That's right. That, that's good. So. So, uh, he's he's the, taking over the, that honor from uh, the, the, the now deceased uh, Dennis Coraluzo. Rest in peace. <laughs> oh, did he finally? Did he die? Oh, he's been dead for a decades has That's he the- really okay I, I i i said finally there but i didn't mean that in terms of like oh he's finally dead like, like you've been waiting for it right, right. Like, <laughs> for so i have no you have some kind of I have all- no opinion about this carluzzo i have a uh i was very upset. Few- all i know about this carluzzo is like from the ecw documentaries where he's just like I, I don't know what shane douglas is doing <laughs> like when shane douglas throws the ec yeah. uh, the nwa title down that is my extent of my dennis carluzzo uh knowledge of him like having to get interviewed afterwards and be like oh, i don't know what's going on <laughs> like Oh, Rich, this is not the show for it, but um, one day we need to talk about the 90s indie wars that went on in New Jersey between the, the, the Philadelphia companies and the New Jersey companies. It's Cora Luzo. And, and uh, yeah, it was uh, – yeah, you, you would – 
you'd learn some things and yeah, some things it's, you know, wrestling is wrestling. I love but wrestling. Anyway. Yeah. Let's, we, we should definitely, that should maybe a Patreon show. We could talk about that. But anyway, uh, other stuff we want to get to, cause we still stuff to do the G one, but as we're talking about, you know, ROH and, and a few other companies here, uh, news and notes, a uh, little portion here, uh, NWA and ROH, no more. They have parted ways. Uh, NWA is saying they're going to focus on their next steps and their growth. Uh, so the ROH NWA partnership that we kind of were scratching our head at a few weeks ago is now officially over. What do you make of this news? Okay, so um, we went to uh, get comment from directly from the NWA, and they said the report, I think it was PW Insider who had it first. Uh, correct, yes. Yeah, they said the report was 100% true and 100% uh, accurate, and uh, we were told that their energy is going to be going towards episodic seasons of television. So, well, let's see. You know, NWA is going to throw their name in the mix, and they're going to try to do week-to-week TV. They obviously signed Eli Drake to a deal. They obviously have Nick Aldis in the fold. They've got Tim Storm waiting around, who uh, they dig out of the uh, – they're going to have to get their tag team titles off of PCO and Brody King somehow, right? I mean, is that going to be a – All problem? right. I forgot about that. They are the champs. Yeah. No one has really talked about that. Yeah, that's not going to go like, well. <laughs> you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to get a match to get them to drop the titles or – but you know that's classic NWA right there. Your titles on a guy, and then you break partnership, and then you got to figure out a way to get off those title away from those guys. So that's uh, that's classic though. It's 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 definitely on brand. Yeah, we'll see what's happening. But uh, uh, Lagana says that you know he finished up his personal commitments with Ring of Honor as well. So uh, yeah, interesting. It's like we always wondered what Ring of Honor was getting out of that relationship. Right, uh, right. Aside from Lagana's sort of um, you know help with production things and, and, and things of that nature, what were they getting out of that relationship? It was almost like NWA was getting all of the benefit from it. So, um, but apparently it was the NWA that made the decision to pull out of ring of honor. So, um, you know, uh, like, listen, if they can secure some kind of TV deal or something, uh, on the level of like an MLW and they get things going, I welcome it, you know, from what they've done with the shows that they've done, it's more of a traditional style of pro wrestling with a little bit of a modern flair. I think it feels different than the other stuff that's out there. And uh, from that perspective, I, you know, and I, I think uh, Lagana does some creative things on the, on the YouTube side of things. And if they put out a TV show, I a, a thousand percent give it a chance. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, and, and it'd be another, and it'd be another place for people to work. The thing about it now is we're just spreading thin and it's like, is there enough talent for all these for impact and NWA and MLW and ring of honor and AEW and WWE? And and is there enough talent out there? Um, I believe there is. The problem is there's a, there's a, there's enough raw talent, but is there enough talent that's over with people? Because that's a question of, you can find talented wrestlers. You know, I went to an indie show a couple of weeks ago and saw at least three or four wrestlers that I've never seen before in my life. And I thought those guys could be stars. Talent is out there. It's a matter of getting them over. That's the, that's the big hurdle. And that's where a lot of indie promoters, honestly, are a little lazy. I mean, they rather just use guys that have already gotten over somewhere else or already are established names. And I think, uh, you know, and we just talked about Beyond. They've done a great job getting people over that you didn't know who they were three months ago, whether it's the fucking the Bear tag team or whether it's Thomas Santelli or whoever else. Okay, and, and that's what more promoters need to be doing. They need to be getting these these talents over. Otherwise, there's not enough talent out there that's already over to fill up all these promotions. But this NWA Ring of Honor thing kind of saw the writing on the wall because I didn't see the benefit Ring of Honor was getting. 
And, um, you know, and we'll see how Ring of Honor New Japan plays out because that's the big one that would really put Ring of Honor uh, behind uh, a terrible eight ball. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, when, when people were kind of – a lot of discussions I heard was like, okay, who does this hurt more? In a lot of ways, it hurts a little bit of both. I think it hurts the NWA maybe more than ROH because now they lose – at least presumably right now, when we don't know the other details, they lose their biggest outlet to kind of promote their brand right now in Ring of Honor. But that's under the assumption they don't have something else in the works, which they – seem to kind of allude to but that might just be kind of like a shot in the dark of hey this is what we'd like to do not necessarily what we have actually uh locked up there so we'll see about that and, and ring of honor loses some other talent uh, on the roster because yeah even though whatever you want to say about the individual talent like it's not great uh but at least it was something and it, it, it felt important on these shows uh and now that's kind of gone a little bit too so ring of honor who already has a pretty thin roster uh loses a little bit more talent and nwa loses their biggest outlet so uh kind of hurt both people in, in a lot of ways yeah yeah mm-hmm uh, all right, impacts. Uh, some news about impact before we get to G one here. Uh, finally, uh, impact reups with Twitch. Uh, what do you make of that news? And then also, what does this mean for the access deal that we have sort of alluded to on this show uh, for a few weeks? And like I said on Patreon, you sort of uh, were the first to break the news that impact and, and and access. There were some deals and some maneuvering going around there. That appears to is it dead? Is it on hold? What's going on with that? Okay, so let me clear that up. So we did break that story that impact. And Axis were sort of flirting with each other with Impact potentially moving to Axis. It got far enough in the process, as I reported at the time, that Impact thought it was pretty much a done deal. And they didn't even have TV scheduled. They had to shoot emergency TV after Slammiversary uh, because the deal ended up not happening. The holdup, as I reported at the time, was that a larger, bigger picture business deal had to happen first before Impact could move to Axis. Um, because uh, I had to respect a source who didn't want me to say what that deal was, I couldn't report it at the time. This week, Front Row Brian, a Twitter personality who usually has MMA scoops but is also tied to pro wrestling, uh, obviously because MMA and pro wrestling are so close together, uh, he came out with what that deal was. And a lot of people assumed off of our report that they were like, oh, well, Axis TV must be trying to buy Impact Wrestling from Anthem. And it was so hard for me to bite my tongue because it was in actuality the other way around. Anthem was trying to purchase Axis TV and then put their wrestling property on their new network. Um, that obviously did not happen, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So now Impact was caught with their pants down with no network because Pursuit was always just a temporary homestead situation for them until the deal went through where Anthem could purchase Axis, that didn't happen. So Impact had to announce that they re-upped their deal with Twitch. So they went from potentially owning Axis TV and airing on Axis in a block with New Japan and WoW to being on Twitch, which at this point, they are seriously running out of options. Pursuit is obviously a non-entity. I'm not even sure if they're airing the show on Pursuit anymore. I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> that's bad that you were, uh, you know, a top wrestling podcast. We don't know that. I mean, I, I don't, have, I don't, I don't get Pursuit, so I haven't been able to watch it. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And they went from a potentially game-changing situation where they'd have New Japan as a lead-in or and be in a block with two other wrestling shows and completely up their profile from Pursuit to just crawling back to Twitch where they're doing what 8,000 views per show or something like that somewhere in that neighborhood, five to 10,000 people a week are watching that on Twitch, which is nothing. I mean, it's just, it's literally nothing. So 
I don't know where impact goes from here. And for the first time ever, for the first time ever, I'm going to make this statement. I really think they're in trouble this time. And we've never said that. We've always said they're the cockroach that won't die. They're going to find a way to survive. Mm-hmm. There's going to be another lifeline. Rich, there's no more lifelines. Is, I mean, pursuit is about as low as you can possibly go. And if that now is like barely hanging on and there's nothing to cling on to after that, it's 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 not good. Yeah, Twitch Twitch is not enough to, to sustain an entire pro wrestling company. It might be if you knew exactly how to do it, but not in the sense that like what, they're, what Impact is trying to do and how they're trying to compete and the wrestlers they're using and all that sort of stuff, right. there's just no way they can sustain themselves. It, it might be if way. you weren't trying to be Major League. And right, you if you're to- just trying to be an indie. You're, you're 200-person indie or whatever. I could make your 200-person indie profitable on Twitch, Joe. Not yeah. Impact. <laughs> the one where you're paying guys 50 bucks or 30 bucks or a hot dog or whatever, we could maybe do it. We're, you're not doing it for Impact. Not if you're trying to pay these guys. Not if you're going to bring in top talent and, and production and, and, and have digital teams and have you know production teams and TV teams and writers. And no, there's no way. It's impossible. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it, it's. I don't know where Anthem goes from here um, with Impact. It's that that was the big lifeline that Conan had been alluding to for weeks, and all of a sudden, that's quieted down on and. Um, what we had reported but couldn't quite report in full. And I think if Anthem would have been able to pull off purchasing Axis, it would have been very beneficial to to Impact. But that appears to be out the window. I mean, that could change, of course, but it doesn't look like it based on people I've talked to and the rumblings going around. It looks like it just – like the deal fell apart for whatever reason that Mark Cuban wants to hold on to it. And um, you have to think – I mean – that maybe New Japan had some influence there. We know there's still heat with Impact, mm-hmm. and you know it's it's I don't and presumably by everything you hear, they're the most popular thing that airs on Axis, and maybe they said, "Hey, look, if Anthem takes over, we want out of our deal." I, I don't, I'm just speculating now because they really do hate Impact that much. That is a certified fact. No, and, and one of the largest voices, Okada, has been obvious about how he disdains that company. He absolutely well, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. He hasn't been obvious, but <laughs> he's very uh, diplomatic. Yeah, in I don't know that, that when that question got asked at the at, at during that's Dallas. Right. Yeah, yeah. He kind of did like you could tell. He basically was just like, just don't. I don't even want to mention that company. <laughs> like that's true. He just that's skipped true. over the question. You could see the the rage on his face, and he was just like, nope, nope, no, no, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a new Davy Boy Smith shoot video out that uh, there's 30 minutes of it up on YouTube now, where he talks about how much he hates Gato and um, and and you know he even mentions that when he wanted to go work for Impact, the New Japan office was super negative on that. They were like, "Why do you want to go to Air Jeff Jarrett?" They still think Jeff Jarrett's running the thing, for right? Me. Right, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. Okay, but they're like, "Why do you want to go?" And then that soured them on Davy Boy Smith Jr. to the point where they basically just weaned him out of the company. Which, you know, so they, they just fuck it. So you can't you can't completely ignore that as one of the potential hangups in that in that deal. I mean, I'm not saying that was the reason, but I can't write it off as one of the reasons. But um I, I really don't know. This is the first time we've joked about it and everything, but this is the first time where I really have serious doubts as to the future of impact. It is looking pretty dire. And yeah, even the people that we've talked to that have always kind of said, oh, they'll find a way, they'll find a way. This is the first time that they've really been like, uh, I don't know. So it's, it's everybody's kind of got the same vibe. Yeah, they've lost a lot of workers there. It's, 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 they've lost a lot of key employees. Yeah. 
it's, who are not people that you would have heard of or whatnot, but there's people who keep resigning from that company mm-hmm. because they see the writing on the wall. Yeah, their digital team is pretty much people. gone. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even know. And, and people are leaving. The, the telltale sign is when people leave and don't get replaced. You know what I mean? Like, And, right. and if you follow it and you kind of know the ins and outs, people are leaving and they're just going, all right, well, we don't. Well, we'll just we don't we don't need a guy to run the website. It's fine. <laughs> like you know, we, we don't need this. We don't yeah. need that. I mean, that that's really where you kind of look at it and go, oh boy, this is it's bad and it's just unsustainable. I mean, Pursuit is an absolute garbage network. It, they still do apparently air on Pursuit uh, on Fridays, um, but that's not a good channel. That's not in a long term fit, and that's Anthem's own channel. Like that's just them trying to find this a place for the show to go for now yeah. it's just it's, yeah. it's, it's completely unsustainable. i mean so. technically it's not an anthem channel but somebody who's involved with anthem owns pursuit it, right 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 you get the idea it was a dumping spot it was supposed to be there temporarily until they moved to axis but now that the axis thing is very much up in the air now you're stuck there with nowhere else to go because they shopped impact around before they planted it on pursuit and there was zero interest and at this point, why would there be interest? They're doing sub-5,000 viewers on Pursuit. And at the last time anybody reported a number, it was sub-5,000 because it was untrackable. 5,000 is the line. They can't track anything below 5,000. Yeah. <laughs> so there were some weeks where they weren't able to track it, which meant that they had less than 5,000 viewers on Pursuit. And we know that they're not doing anything more than – what did they top out at on Twitch? Like 10,000, 12,000 or something? Somewhere like around there. And, yeah, even those numbers are a little dubious too. So who the hell knows? And, and I mean there's, there's... – and, and realistically, Rich, what's the difference between 12,000 people and 4,000 people? Right. It, it, negligible. It's nothing. It's, it's it, Because both numbers are completely and totally meaningless at that level. But, but this is a really good point. The fact that they managed to do like one or two thousand pay per view buys based on that number of oh, they're they're leveraging their company, they're, they're leveraging whatever fans are left like tremendously. They're doing an incredible job of turning those people into pay, paying customers with one thousand or two thousand pay per views. They're doing like a ten percent conversion. <laughs> I know that's insane. So it is only the hardcores of the hardcores that are still there. But man, yeah, yeah it's it's it, it's pretty dire, unfortunately. So hopefully, hopefully that won't be the last time we talk about Impact. But uh, yeah, keep an eye on that. Uh, a little bit of minor breaking news here before we get to G1. Uh, some reports coming out from the MLW TV taping. Oh. Uh, MLW has an alliance with Pro Wrestling Noah. Wow. I like it. That's all. I don't uh, There's little reports coming out right now, but there's a screenshot. This is MLW Alliance Pro Wrestling Noah is what's out there right now. I am uh, I am in for that. That sounds great. You know, didn't Minoru Tanaka come in for WrestleMania weekend for MLW? Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. That so maybe sense. something got brokered there. Well, you know uh, I mean? no, no, no. We did, we, didn't we know that? Because didn't Court say that he was going to Japan for uh, meetings yeah. or something like that? And it was yes, he was he, talking to Noah guys. I met, See, you're smarter than me then because when he told us that, I didn't, re, I didn't make a Noah connection. You did? I think I did. I, I forget what happened, but he was talking to certain guys. I think he took like shots of, with guys, and it was like clearly Noah guys. But I don't know if that was just guys that he knew or there was some connection there or whatnot. But well, I remember <laughs> asking him to clarify some story or something, and he was like, "Sorry, guys, I was just in Japan, <laughs> just hanging out, just a, and, a casual weekend vacation in Japan." <laughs> and I didn't think to follow up, but maybe because I'm an awful journalist. Uh, but yeah, that probably explains what he was doing over there. So. Um. Yeah, that has some interesting possibilities for sure. I'm trying to think of it in both directions because Noah can definitely use the help. Um, 
in terms of, but but I mean, you know, can you picture like filthy Tom Lawler working? I can, and I want to. I guess, <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, it's, Grim mucking it up with Nakajima or something. That'd be sweet. Yeah, what about Fatu? Fuck. Send him over there against oh, Sagara. Give him the, give, strap him up, man. Fatu's the champion, man. He is the champion. I mean, no, I mean, the Noah champion. <laughs> I'm strapping him up. Yeah, I mean, fuck it. Maybe. But, uh, you know, the almighty Sheik going over there throwing fireballs at fucking uh, Daisuke Harada. How about that? <laughs> I'm down, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely into it. This could be interesting in both directions. Yeah, there's a lot of potential there. Noah can send, um, you know, some of their young boys over to MLW and, and you know, Kato Kiyomiya. He went and worked those Canadian indies and then came back and they fucking made him champion. So, um, yeah, that's uh, literally breaking news as we're recording. So we're just kind of fucking shooting the shit on it but that's that's interesting and i think it came out of left field a little bit and i think that could be a lot of fun all right so for final 10 minutes or so that we have left here on the show just want to touch on the g1 a bit you're obviously doing your daily reviews uh at voicewrestling.com slash patreon so most people know about your thoughts uh each night but i kind of want to do an overall kind of check in on the g1 we don't have to get too in the weeds about this just kind of talk about some of the stuff going on uh updates as of this recording we're recording this on the uh what is the date today the 25th so this is on 25th so anything that's that match happened or whatever result or whatever. Uh, a block, you have Kenta and Okada far ahead of everybody else right now, tied at eight points. Uh, below them is a big four way tie between Tanahashi, Evil, Archer, and Abushi. Uh, Will Ospreay, Sonata, Zack Sabre Jr., Bad Luck Folly, all at two points. So, Joe, overall thoughts on the A block, and what do you make of uh, of Kenta and Okada being uh, as far ahead as they are right now? Okay, so they're facing each other on Saturday, and they both have eight points. And if Kenta wins. It's like he's going to have to pick up some loss. Are you still into the idea of Kenta beating Okada to set up maybe a title match at King of Pro Wrestling or something? Now that, you know, that would also give Kenta a commanding lead in the stand. How do you yeah, that? the only issue that I have with that, I would have said yes. Like, honestly, I would have said yes because I still think that's a good idea. The problem, though, is if you look at who he has coming up, He's got Fale, who I think he can lose to Fale because anybody can kind of lose to Fale. It could just be some nefarious thing that happens or whatever. He's got Osprey. I, I have a tough time buying that they're going to have Will Osprey beat Kenta. Right. He's got Zack Saber Jr. I guess Zack Saber Jr. could beat Kenta, but again, like it's not like there's not like there's big heavy hitters. If he still had Tanahashi and 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 Abushi left, I would say yeah, no problem. Beat Okada, and then your losses are to Tanahashi and and Abushi and guys like that. But the problem though that I have is is. I, I just I, where do I make some of those losses? I don't buy that he's losing to Osprey. I guess he could lose to Sonata and Saber, but that seems a little weird right now. I guess he probably loses to Fale, but then that's like I, I don't know. The way they built him up is it's interesting. I don't know. I, I don't get a good read on it right now. Here's the problem: if Kenta beats Okada, he would be two points ahead of Okada with the tiebreaker. Right. So essentially four points ahead. And of he's Okada. got the tiebreaker over Bushi too. And I was just gonna say that, and he'll be at minimum. Four points ahead of Abushi with the tiebreaker, meaning he's six points ahead, which means Abushi has to finish ahead of Kenta, and he's already four points behind to win the block. And Okada has to finish ahead of Kenta, and he's already two points behind with the tiebreaker to win the block. That's why I'm kind of cooling off on the idea of Kenta beating Okada, because if Kenta beats Okada, the motherfucker's winning the block. I yeah, mean, yeah, and Abushi can get to 14 points if he wins out. But then that's a lot of maneuvering to get Kenta out of that. Now like, Kenta, because then Kenta has to lose a lot of those matches you were talking about right. against second-tier guys, which isn't impossible. But do you want Kenta being cold at the end of the tournament? Right. I don't like the optics of that either. That that kind of I, – I would rather him – Especially when you're setting him up for a title match if he beats Okada. Exactly. Right. Like I would maybe then have him lose to Okada and then, yeah, he can beat – 
will lose the bad luck folly, lose the saber, whatever you need to do. But that, that opens up a lot more pads where, yeah, if he beats Okada, then it's like, fuck, this dude's going for the title. And then he drops four falls to, you know, second tier guys. It's, it, it's going to be a little strange. Because he's four points ahead of Tanahashi, too. So you even want to throw him in there. And, um, you know, four points ahead of Archer. I mean, all of them. You know, with the win in hand. So it's like, I'm cooling off on that. Mm-hmm. If he does beat Okada, they really have to send him on a big spiraling losing streak to catch those guys up to win the block. Um, and it's kind of the same situation in the B block with Moxley. If Moxley never fucking loses, so he has to lose to Naito on Sunday. He has to. That is a one million percent lock that Naito is beating Moxley yeah, because you're not. In, you, oh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. Finish finish your point, and then I'll check in with the B block here. You can't have Moxley go to ten while Naito still has four. Right. <laughs> With Moxley having a head-to-head, because then Moxley has to literally lose all his matches for Naito to come back and win the block. So it's kind of a similar situation there, too. I am a million percent certain that Naito's beating Moxley, Mm -hmm. and I've totally lost faith that Kenta beating Okada is the sure thing that I thought it was. I think that's like a 50-50 match now. Yeah. But but Naito is a million percent. If you can bet on this somehow, Naito is beating Moxley. There's it, it's in, unless Naito dies in the match, he's beating Moxley. I don't see any other scenario where it can't be. What's what's interesting with Moxley though is there there's a way where you could maybe maneuver it because like we talked about the guys that Kenta has to face, it's hard to buy into the optics of him having to lose all those matches. The Moxley one's a little bit easier. He would have to lose then. Say he beats Naito by whatever random chance he beats Naito, he has Yano still left. Easily drop a fall to Yano, no problem. He has White still left. You can buy that White fucks around and gets a pinfall. And he has Robinson left as well, which is another one that we bought as well. And he's the final guy Robinson. is Goto. So he's losing Robinson. We kind of agree to that. I guess Goto would be the one where it's like, okay, I can't really – the way that Moxley's been booked so far, I can't buy into Goto winning. But I guess you could get the idea that Goto could you know, get lucky one night and beat him or whatever. So if you wanted to have Moxley beat Naito, which, again, I'm with you. I don't think they can do it anymore. It would take a lot of maneuvering. And, again, Moxley would then have to leave the G1 – taking fall after fall after fall after fall, and I don't know if that's the right way to do it. He can easily take a fall to Yano. He can easily lose to Jay White, and we know pretty much locked down that he's probably going to lose to Juice Robinson, so he's got to beat Goto, and in that case, you sort of have to say, okay, well, then he probably has to lose to Naito, too, because Naito's got to get his points from somewhere as well, and a little check-in here on the B block. Moxley at eight. We've talked about him a little bit. Juice Robinson at six. I think kind of surprising uh, for him at this point. Then a big muck of people at four. Ishii, Shingo, Yano, Taichi, and Naito at four. Then Jeff Cobb, Hiroki Goto, and Jay White at two. So Naito, we assume he's got to get there, right? He's got to get there some way. And if you have him lose that fall to Moxley, it becomes a little tougher. He can beat Jeff Cobb, of course. That's no problem at all. He beats Juice Robinson. He beats Shingo. He beats Jay White. It all makes sense in the world. It's just if he loses to Moxley, the way to go about that, then Moxley's got to just have a weird path the rest no, of the No, but game. listen, so. even if he – okay, but even if he wins those four matches, that gives him 12. Moxley, right. Moxley will already have 10 if he beats Naito, which means Moxley can't have 12 because he has the tiebreaker. So – if Moxley beats he has to Naito, lose every single match. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right, right. If Moxley were to beat Naito, that means Moxley has to lose out the rest of the tournament. And they're not doing that. That's why I'm saying Naito is a million percent beating Moxley. And here's the other thing, too. Jay White only has 